2: Hello everybody and welcome along at just after 8 o'clock in the UK. That's just after 9 o'clock where I am because I'm still on central European time. Uh, We've moved courtesy of Porsche UK and their Cayenne Hybrid and Hyundai UK and their very lovely Santa Fe, the mighty Santa Fe. We've moved from Le Mans to the Eiffel Mountains because we're getting ready for the Nürburgring 24 this weekend and all of our live Action shows starting on Thursday. But we've taken the opportunity to bring you a special midweek motorsport. This is the week after Le Mans that we normally have off for rest and recuperation. We'll do that next week instead. So no midweek motorsport next week, but we will have more live endurance racing. The sale in six hours of the Glen and that coverage starts on Thursday. What's that bit of housekeeping kept up. Uh, we'll say that it's Kerry over in London, up in London, uh, this evening, because Tim Gray is out and about for his proper job. Curry is pushing the buttons, and thanks very much to Curry, Rob and Hugh over the Le Mans weekend for making sure that we got out to uh, an even larger audience than usual. Right, shall we c- crack on? Uh, if we're very lucky, uh, Curry's going to press the button and we'll get... The news jingle for the top story this week.
4: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: Well, that seemed to work. Uh, we're doing all this by remote control uh, with uh, the. We're sort of just getting ourselves sorted out for the weekend. The top story this weekend, and I have got guests aplenty to talk about this week, should I say. Uh, we are going to be talking volume, not as in pump up there but volume and you all know why that is let's bring in nick damon first of all good evening nick damon not talking about f1 here but there is an f1 <laughs> component of this and i'll tell you why in a
1: minute in a minute hello nick how are you hello john how are you hello everyone else in the wonderful world of movie motorsport land
2: yes excellent stuff well that's working as well he's in from mid uh, from uh, milton mid milton Keynes. uh you know, johnny well. is on my right here in the nurburgring <laughs> hello hello john yes yeah. You so we've got the butch filter on you. Yeah,
3: Well, you know, uh, that's that's uh, a week of preparing for a 24-hour race, then a 24-hour race, and then a day of sleeping, frankly, yesterday. There's, there's that was no, a lot of fun.
2: No better... <laughs> we won't even go into that. There's no better way to prepare for a 24-hour race than doing a 24-hour <laughs> Indeed. race. Indeed. Joe Bradley is the third uh, voice, uh, additional voice. Good evening, evening, everybody. Good evening, Braddus. You're good. And we will have Paul Trustwell uh, later on in the show. But, of course, the top story is that two Fords were uh, removed from the results after post-race scrutineering we're going to have to stay at Le Mans for an extra day now and cover mm. the post-race scrutineering That's because there was point. just as much action going on there um, the fourth place GT Pro car uh, was kicked out for having too big a fuel tank that really didn't affect the results but it was a bit of an eyebrow raised and then the news that we'd heard rumbling away even as we were traveling on Monday, we were trying to keep up with this and by the time we got to the Nürburgring, or at least to the Eiffel Mountains, the news was confirmed and JP, uh, Ben Keating and the Keating Motorsport Ford was out of the race for a, an infraction on the fuel tank volume. We had a big chat about this, but first of all, we've got to say that Ben Keating took it very, very well indeed. Sportcar 365, John De Geese, uh, had the phone call from him and transcribed that interview. I've read it, and Ben has basically put their hands up and said, we made a mistake, uh, we sailed a bit close to the sun.
3: Uh, yeah, and, uh, the, you know, it the, the, when, it, when it was very classy. When it's explained, um, people go, well, that wouldn't have made any difference to their performance, slightly bigger fuel tank, what's that going to do? So you invert that in my mind and think, well, what's it going to do if you just take a few... Literage off, then to make sure you're the safe side of the line. And I think he was quoted as saying, if we got the chance to do this year's race again, we would take half a litre out of the tank to make it 95 and a half, and we would ensure as well that the fuel flow through the restrictor when you're filling the car up was just a little bit more than 45 seconds to, to, to yeah. fill the fuel, the full tank. Or and yeah. that's, wh- that's what they do. The, the, the scrutineers um, take an empty tank. And they put the nozzle on and they fill it from absolutely nothing to it brimmed and they time it. And if it takes quicker than 45 seconds, then it's an illegal restrictor. Um, And the same when they drain the tank as well from from it being full, you take all the fuel out. And uh, if there are more than 96 litres in there, that's not allowed either.
2: Bradley, you've been a team manager, so you know about all of this. You know about fuel capacity and and things like that. How do you control fuel capacity in what is a... Effectively, a bag inside a fuel cell. How do you change it from one series to another?
0: Um, Well, firstly, have we mentioned what exactly the infringement was and how how much over? We'll come back to that in a minute. I want to bring Nick in on that in a minute. That's quite relevant because there would not be any kind of advantage on exceeding that. However,
2: as a team manager,
0: uh, every team manager out there is out there and he's trying to shave the regulations to the absolute bone and a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So when, and that is probably why the pragmatic approach from Ben Keating in the post-race scrutineering
2: um, has been
0: as pragmatic as it was because you've got to draw the line somewhere because wherever you draw the line, you'll push against that line. Mm -hmm. And getting back to your question, how do you, what, what are you saying? How do you measure fuel?
2: No, how do you change the size of your fuel tank? Um, you don't take the tank in and out because it's actually not a tank, is it? It's a bag within a void. I believe. Normally.
0: I believe, and I've never had to change a fuel tank on any of the cars I've worked on, but I believe it's a, the insertion of plastic balls. So yeah. you can imagine ping pong balls. I don't know exactly know how big they are, but plastic balls are inserted into the tank, which take up volume to the to the point where you you know each ball will be an amount of space in the tank. Right
2: now, this is why I want to bring Nick Damon in, Nick. In Formula yeah. One, does yes. anybody talk about... Cause the, the the amount that we were talking about, by the way, it was... Uh, they measured coming out 96.1 litres of the tank. And this is what he was disqualified for. This is what Keating, the team Keating, was disqualified for. They were going to get a penalty uh, for um, under time in and out of the pits, in their pit stops, which we'll... we'll I'll, I'll put that to one side for the moment and come back to that. Um because there's a problem with our working out on that however so 96.1 liters uh, it was checked and it was at least 96.1 they've never said how much more came out because they said once we got 96.1 that was all it had to be now in formula one do they ever talk about liters or do they talk about kilograms of fuel
1: no yeah, it's all kilograms it's all beta fuel because obviously uh a, a liter of um so a liter of fuel weighs different amounts, different temperatures, but more importantly, a liter of fuel is is lighter than a liter of water. So you you get more than a you get more 0. than one 7 liter of a kilogram. Yeah. So the hundred and five kilogram. Well, a liter of cabin, fuel weighs. Yeah, so hundred and five kilograms. I I, I don't think limit. a lit
2: Right. Let's let's we've got a bit of a delay on the, to Nick um, on the Skype this evening. So, point uh, seven of a kilogram is one liter. Of fuel. Um, now, the the reason I'm asking all this, dear listener, is because we're talking very fine margins here. We're talking about a 1%, 1.1, 1.2% um, error. In in part of Ben Keating admitting that they'd done it wrong, they had measured the fuel going in and coming out of that tank by weighing it. They hadn't done it by volume. Now, you wait. Will always be the same, whereas your volume will not always be the same, and that's the difference.
0: That's what I was going to say. The reason why got that the the reason why you weigh your fuel is because it's more accurate than volume. Correct. So you 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 basically want to know how much fuel your car uses per lap, yeah. so you can then know how much fuel to put in. And you, you take in your pace lap, the potential of yell, you know, uh, laps at the end, etc. Volume changes with ambient temperature, hence. Back in the history of Formula 1, we had teams freezing their fuel to get more fuel into the tank. Yeah, same. Weighed, weighed the same. Yeah. But it it but took it less space. It,
2: no, it weighed... It no, no,
0: it weighs the same. The, it's, it's the volume changes. Expansion, right. contraction.
2: The, the the issue that you have, the two things that affect it, is the ambient temperature around the car and the temperature of the fuel in the tank. And it will expand or contract. But the weight will remain the same. So 100 litres... Weighs 70 kilograms. It doesn't always take it's up the, the space. space. 70 kilograms of fuel doesn't always take up. And, and the issue that I've got here is that I can't find anywhere, and by all means, tweet in at Spec but I can't find anywhere in the ACO technical regulations that says the, the size of your fuel tank is 96 litres, measured at an altitude which gives you air pressure, which also changes it, <laughs> yes. temperature of fuel, and ambient temperature. There's nothing in that. All
0: right, I'll give you an analogy from my experience. Of whenever you turn up at a track, doesn't matter what you're running, whether it's a cart, a mini, and the, the, the example I'm going to use is when we run minis, you always go at the scrutineering ring and you always wear the car on, on the scrutineer's scales. Because
2: they're the only ones that count. Because the the they're
0: day. the ones that count. Absolutely and in the same ones. way, if you know that Scrutineering is going to be um, measuring volume in and out of the car, whatever. If you you get up tomorrow morning and it's a chilly day, it's going to be slightly different. So here's a
2: question then. Why, when that car was scrutineered, there's two days of scrutineering. Why wasn't it found to be illegal at that point and the team notified?
0: I'm I'm always baffled. Well, certainly that one.
2: There was two Fords that were oversized by uh, smallish amounts. But why weren't they pulled out at at scrutineering and said, sorry, guys, you've got too much fuel volume in there?
0: Uh, he's a one, just pure theory and speculation. It was absolutely scorching on scrutineering day. It was a bit overcast and a bit chilly on Monday morning.
2: No, it wasn't. It was 27 degrees.
0: Was it? It got hot what, Monday again. morning? Yeah. I can't remember. It was in a daze. <laughs> so the, but that's
3: what we're talking about here. We're talking about the difference
0: in ambient temperature. I know.
2: But you're also, um,
3: you're not measuring the amount of fuel. You're measuring the size of the tank. Now, I don't think the tank is going to change size at all. You, you just said it's a bag. That doesn't change size according to temperature, you can't, does it? So can you use a, a different material? Can you use?
2: No, they tend to be homologated, to be honest. No, but what coast. I mean
3: is, why do you have to put fuel in it? Why do you have to put fuel in? Put something is that's inert. Yeah, right. which doesn't, doesn't change. There y- you can,
2: and believe it or not, I've heard of this happening before. You can get a wrinkle in the tank, well, so that, that so that when you do, or a crease, and so that when you measure it, but after being thrown around for twenty four hours, that can unfold and give you a, a bit extra. What of these
0: tanks are foam filled. Remember, it's not just a bag sloshing.
2: It has some foam in it. Because it ha- can't I, 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 have the, fully foam because you wouldn't get your balls in, well, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right not um, a euphemism yeah. not a euphemism there um, uh, Nick, Damon just going back to Formula 1 I mean it's all done in kilograms we hear the Formula 1 we hit the Formula 1 commentators talking about how many kilos of fuel they seldom talk about litres do they? and is well, that they why?
1: Talk about because it's never measured in litres it's always measured in weight the only uh, there is a there is a fuel flow meter which which talks about again talk about grams of fuel per hour it's, again it's not to wait it's not volume because mm, mm. as joe said uh, it's well, easy we, to, to, to muck it
2: yeah yeah well now what we should say to finish this bit off because we've been on 30 minutes about this already um, is there was a team representative there when all of these post uh, race checks were going on and they uh, signed it off agreed with it and there's been there's not going to be any further there so they must have decided that you know it wasn't worth trying to fight it all i would say is in future i think the regulations need to be changed just like the land when the land car was thrown out i got the penalty should i say at the rolex a couple of years ago um, they were in breach of a regulation that wasn't really a regulation because it wasn't properly written down and so the regulations were rewritten for that, the other breach that that car had, the Keating car had, was this um, minimum fuel fill time. So that's fuel from empty to full, and the penalty that was applied for that, which would have affected the results, by the way, um, was to multiply the amount of time that they were short on a full fill by the amount of times they came in the pit, pit to give an amount of time that they gained, and then the penalty is four times that. Now my issue with that is you don't fill full every time you're in, and indeed I'm pretty certain that that car came in for a nose change as mandated by the ACO, which wasn't a fuel stop at all. So
3: well, there was also the spinning of the wheels when the car was. Oh, so was it had a drive-through the, through as well, so of course. And, well done. And uh, Riley admitted, d- did he not on air? He said, "We spun the wheels. We take the penalty, and yeah. the penalty was it was either drive-through or stop-go." It so
2: was a, it was it was just a drive-through stop. So, so one of those game. pit
3: lane visits wasn't even a service. You know, Correct. you're just driving past the team and waving at them.
2: However, that actually is is as naught compared to the the other stuff. Um, look, Ben Keating knows what they did. They ran a great race. They were very crafty. The way they did what they did in the early running, they made sure that uh, Ben got up the speed in that car. He hadn't had a huge amount of time. He drove that car brilliantly, mm. I thought, Ben Keaton. I, I thought
0: I was really impressed with his stints. We, I mean, no disrespect to him, he's no slouch, but we did expect the car not to be as competitive, let's say, lap time-wise, when Ben got in the car. A at the end. Well, I mean, you're, he's up he against dro- but Jerome Blagermoland.
2: But, but Blagermoland at the end drove away from Bergmeister. Mm. It was yeah. 3.8 seconds at one stage, and they drove away.
0: But, but Ben's times weren't, weren't no, far Ben's off were Blagermolands, and that's quite a thing.
2: I hope they'll be back. Uh, That was a lot of money that he spent. I hope
0: he's not dissuaded by that. No,
2: no, indeed. Uh, Uh, The
3: the suggestion from his quotes is absolutely not, not, because there's a score to settle now. Absolutely. And they want to win that race. Mm. I think
2: the way they've behaved has been exemplary. I really do. Uh, Just coming up to... Just after quarter past eight in the UK, uh, quarter past nine here in London, we'll keep Nick on the line, because we do have a bit of Formula One. Uh, So for a Formula One, we need our Formula One correspondent. Hooray! Hey... (laughs) Ray with a delay. French Grand Prix at the weekend, Nick. I hear um, uh, ticket sales haven't
1: been going so well. No, apparently what they had to do to get the tickets, they had to to drive to the circuit and that took too long. Well, I
2: I, I heard that there's there's 50% down on last year, but that's because the rest of them are still trying to get out. (laughs) Last year, exactly, uh, yeah. Just basically waiting for it to come round again. Um, Yeah. um, uh, Paul Ricard last year was the traffic jam from hell. Um, and I'm not sure what they could do. We've said this before. Uh, However, there are, uh, for those that do decide to go, some good reasons to go, because there's quite a few uh, upgrades coming along from uh, Ferrari and and one or two others.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's... um there's a, a, a the main one of the interesting thing is the Honda engine is another engine, so they're going for another upgrade, which is completely outstep. So it definitely means that that Red Bull will be taking penalties later in the season. This they're already their third one, but they they are doing this aggressive um, upgrade path this year to. Uh, gain more benefits next year so they're looking to get more power more reliability and they're prepared to start at the back at a couple of races anyway because let's be honest about this right now until can tell you right now that Max Verstappen and Pierre Gasly are not going to be world champions. so all they need to do is, is concentrate on having a, the best possible car for the two or three races they've got a chance of doing particularly well in um Ferrari got some some bits and bobs um there's other teams supporting some stuff Renault are going to introduce effectively a complete rethinking of, of what they had before, so they're going to do a major package, which is you know uh, has advantages and disadvantages if it, if it comes at the box and works, you're a genius if it comes at the box and doesn't work, you just like, you just wasted several million dollars um, and Of course, the big news is that in the words of uh, well, one no, no, owner comedian uh, Ferrari wouldn't let it lie, and uh, because the, as I said last week, you can't protest a five second penalty, uh, they've decided to ask for a, a judicial review because um, so they want the penalty review based on new evidence they've got. And it just falls into the situation where you kind of think, well, you can't, yeah, you know, if the FAA decide to give them a sop and let them have the win back again, that's massively unfair to everyone else who was racing the last 22 laps thinking it was a five-second penalty. So you actually throw your entire um, rule system into um, disarray, because at that point, no one knows what the heck's going on with the penalty. If you're to allowed to review and change it, um it's supposed to fix what do you do so it's uh, it's a difficult the FA got in a difficult situation for I really should let it go this is this is just a petuosity now spreading from from Fettle to Binotto and the team and and I don't know why they feel quite so hard done by because he made a mistake you know that's what happened Winning the race now, I don't believe, is going to affect anything. If they get the seven points back, as far as the constructors' championship or the drivers' championship is concerned, they still won't win the drivers' championship, and they'll still come second in the constructors' championship, with or without the seven points. So, it's just causing theoretical potential problems or a chance to be more upset again um, when they get told no, it's not happening. So, not very. In favour, Who's though. the?
2: Who, it, it... It's another Mercedes circuit. They're all Mercedes circuits. Can't say anything but another Mercedes win, can you? Or are you going to be deliberately contrary and tell me that Williams' new update uh, is going to catapult them from the back to the front
1: of the grid? Yeah, that's definitely going to happen. There's there's no doubt there'll be a catapult. Um, no, I think, yeah, you know, you know, Mercedes won this one last year, uh, aided by, well, Hamilton won it, of course. Uh, Vettel speared off uh, Bottas on the second corner, so that kind of spoiled the other two cars' race. Yeah. Um, It was, you know, it's one of those races where actually the the fast cars found it very, very easy to overtake the slower cars just down the the first half of the Mistral. So the overtaking was was plentiful if if run run spectacular. unspectacular. It's a difficult, you know, it's a track where everyone takes liberties because there's no, it isn't isn't just some runoff area. The entire track's a runoff area, uh, just painted different colours. And this was one of the tracks last year where we had these thinner-gauge tyres that they've got this year, and, and, and Mercedes and Hamilton won it reasonably easy. There is no reason to think that won't happen again. Um, the question really is what Bottas can do after his recent stump in form, if he can you know, come back and eat his porridge and be fantastic like all the press think he's going to be, or he'll just be like the ordinary. is, like you and I think he will be, John. So it's us versus the press with Bottas.
4: Uh...
2: Really, yeah. Uh, where are we with the 2021 regulations? There's been a bit of in a delay. Ether. What's going on in the ether?
1: Because they can't, there's too much to agree <laughs> at one time, and they and they and they, you know, and they, they can't. If you if you turn around the 10, and team, the problem is, they,
2: is it not that the, the problem is, is it not that nothing's agreed till everything's agreed?
1: Yeah, and and if you turn around to them and ask them, you know do we want you know what 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 blend of coffee do we want they couldn't agree on that you know, so how are they're going to agree about a complete set of you know new regulations sporting regulations concord agreements everything else and they're pushing it back to October so they're theoretically only giving the teams uh, 14 and 15 months to bring out completely new cars appears apparently how the FIA's trend isn't it really love doing that let's have to give you this 15 months a new set regulations um, obviously, uh, my guess is that there is an outline set of regulations that has already been agreed for a lot of the car parts, and, and therefore everyone's beavering away in the background, knowing pretty much what's going to happen. But there's obviously sporting regulations and obviously commercial um, regulations which are waiting to get signed off or be agreed, and that's what's delaying everything. But it's getting a bit silly. Um, yeah, the, f- the first what we, part. What, of- are the Sorry, what? The what are we expecting
2: the differences to be? Sorry, bit of delay. Are we expecting the the. The new bits to be in terms of the cars and the sporting regulations. Are we going to get 18-inch in rims?
1: Yep, yep. They've been. Uh, they are already going to be on F2 cars next year. So F2 is going to trial the 18-inch rims. So, so you know, finally, finally, F1 moves into the 90s, um, and um, <laughs> uh, they are going to. Yeah, the idea is it's all it's all theory, theory, theory. But the idea is that they're going to move to a much more undercar developed aerodynamic. Solution so you know, elements of ground effect to take away the over the car stuff that gets obviously much more disturbed by following uh traffic, so they can make it easy to overtake. Um, the and a, and a whole raft of car features that will make them you know more exciting to look at and noisier and everything else. The engines will be the same, they're going to carry over these engines, which was the original plan not to do. Um, and they will, yeah, the, the, the perhaps the biggest question is what's going to happen with the money. Um, because there is supposed to be a agreed uh, budgetary cap of 175 million dollars. Um, do you remember what oh, um, oh, oh, oh. Max? Do you remember what Max's budget cap was going to be in 2010, which never happened? Fifty million. Forty million. And now they're agreeing on 175
2: yeah. million.
1: million, now they've agreed on 175 million theoretically, and that's without marketing, without driver salaries and everything else. So, or engine co- engine development costs. So. Mercedes Bricksworth is not covered by this, um, and then the question is: Are, are Ferrari going to get all their special treatment? Are they going to get their, you know, we're Ferrari money? Are they going to get a bigger slice of the pie? And that, 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 that I think is much more up for grabs about how that links into the Concord agreement about the the, you know, the the classic team money, the rewards for actually turning out, the rewards for being in the top ten. Because that's that can be completely sorted out. Mm. So it's it's really odd that, you know, that is up in the air. And that's, you know, everyone knows it's, it, you know, effectively Formula One is just a way of spending large amounts of money um, it, and occasionally a race yes. breaks out.
2: So, you know, that is the, I think, I think it's important. You're sounding week. as cynical as me at times. Really, you are. What about the sporting regulations, Nick? Are we going to see something like a Saturday qualifying race or a reverse grid sprint or firing tortoises at each other i mean what what uh what
1: are they going to try and do to to I to, that is, to that is make this question. a little bit more interesting yeah that's the excellent question because I, cause, cause I i think that there's so much else to worry about that beyond this concept which has been leaked mainly so it could be trashed which is that they're going to effectively have the cars in park firmly from the moment they hit the ground on the first day of practice, mm. first moment of practice, so you can't effectively you can't do tweak your, you can't run out do a test on a certain time. Think, oh, I've got my spring rates wrong, and stick new springs in because you'll be affecting in part firmer, which I think is a terrible. I don't know who ever thought this was a good idea. Um, you know, so you basically so you have to. if so you're gonna do that, your,
2: why don't you just why don't you just stop all the, the, uh, uh, the why don't you just not bother with the with the the session, just
1: go straight into qualifying and then run the race. Yeah, they give them 10 sighting laps so they know which way which way the track goes, uh, qualifying, and the race all in one day. I mean, a bit bit like Formula E. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because it doesn't mean then that all that happened now is that simulation become more important, and they do more simulation. But I don't know why someone thought it'd be a great idea to have the cars in park make them Friday, but that is apparently the idea that's been floated. My guess is it'll get horrendously watered down. Um, because otherwise, you've got three practice sessions where if someone has a gearbox or engine problem, uh, and they have have to replace the engine gearbox which would have normally been fine on fridays because you can do that um they would end up um starting from the pit lane There are some races where effectively the entire group will start from the pit lane um and it's just silly but someone's had this idea it doesn't save money it doesn't save time it doesn't save anything um it is absolutely you know fiddling while the um, titanic sinks but hey hey that's f1 sometimes
2: well, well, sh- surely what we want gentlemen here in the nürburgring we want more entertainment on the days leading up to qualifying in the race, not not fewer, because um, JP, what's the point of going toiling around if your car's not quite set up the way you want it? There's no real point in toiling around and using up tyres. You just say, "Well, guys, that's the way it is. We can't we can't touch it now. So shall we just park up and you know hit the beach?"
3: Mm. Yeah, that yeah, true. I, um the whole point of free practice is to try something out and then realise that's no good at all and change it, or, or indeed think you're onto a good thing and you don't need to change it. But you, just, yeah, you surely have to have the option, otherwise, yeah, it's just wasted time, just wasted fuel and tyres. I agree.
2: I don't get that at all. I mean, I suppose you could test other drivers. That's the that's one thing you could do.
3: Well, the
0: majority of setup work is done on simulators these days. When they get to the track, the only thing they're really tweaking is things like aero for wind changes and yeah. stuff and. The actual, you know, the, the old style cambers, casters, dampers even to a point are all done on the sim these days. So when they do get to the track, there's very little tweaking goes on of, of things in so, that, of that ilk.
2: So could you, in theory, do all your work, your testing and practice on a sim and literally turn up at a track and go into qualifying and then the race? They're pretty
0: much doing that now. The only thing that they're, they're seemingly uh, are playing with is um, ECU's engine management systems and, and how the hybrid uh, gets the energy and, and how they um, retrieve energy and, and and that aspect of things. And I suppose the only time there will be an anomaly that would creep in is if they got to a track that had been recently resurfaced right. or addressed like what we had at the Bruno 12 Hours where the, since the last time we'd been, the track had been effectively shaved for motor gp and and all of a sudden the tire data that you thought you had is completely thrown out the window yeah but that is very rare um why would you need a race engineer at the time you might as well just be you you, you know if you're not allowed to touch the car
2: they might be they might as well be sitting just watching the the data coming every,
0: everything's going to be done on it even more is going to be done on a sim that's going to up the cost mm-hmm. with sim and uh simulators and the technology of simulators. Um, it's not really F1, is it? It's not really... What, what, what you're going to do as a spectator, you, you want to see people evolve through the weekend. You want to see the guy improve his time. Everything's going to be... So in practice, we're going to have the first 20. That's not going to change much to the I end of the Grand ask Prix. that's a
2: question there. Nick, what happens if it rains? Then are you allowed um, to touch the cars? Are they still in Park Ferme?
1: No, in Park Ferme rules. So if you... If you uh, come out of qualifying it's been dry the whole time and it rains overnight you you run on a full dry setup in the wet which is why sometimes when there has been rain forecast for the sunday and saturday is dry some of the teams in the middle of the field have actually gone have sacrificed a few slots on the grid and gone with a softer semi dry semi semi setup, and and hope to reap the benefits people at the front can never take the risk the rain won't happen you Know, but even in the middle, you know, you yeah. have that freedom to actually just, just guess and hope for a, a lucky day and, and, and a hat full of points. But, uh, I, I don't, yeah, you know, the point about it is, that, and I think, I think, I think actually Joe's being a little bit, um, uh, disingenuous. There's, there's still an awful lot simplistic. of work on old fashioned setup that goes on in F1. There's still a, absolutely they, they'll, they'll land with a, a setup that's 95% there, but there's still people changing ride heights, changing cameras and casters by, you know. Tenths of degree is not one degree, and they'll also be looking at you know very much at uh, you say aero bands, right? And they're currently, aero bands, of course, if it was the same rules as apply to current part firmer, the only part of the aero bands you can change is the front wing angle. So yeah, I think it's uh, yes. I think there is still quite a lot of setup work that goes on. It's not night and day like it used to be, but we are, there's still a lot of fine tuning, especially for, for a lot of it obviously the uh, amount of error. Air- it's hard to work.
2: Yes. All right. Well, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Nick in Milton Keynes, and we are in uh, at the Nurburgring in the Aston Martin Lounge. And we're back, I said I'll tell you a bit more about where we are, We're just on half past eight here, just a little bit after that, uh, and uh, half past eight there, half past uh, nine here of course, uh, but I've got my UK clock in front of me. Um, we are back in the TUV Tower, or the Rhineland Tower as it's called now, which is actually where we first started broadcasting from with Aston Martin. We moved for the last few years down to their um, driver's lounge and hospitality lounge, right at, on top uh, of the pit exit and uh, could see them down the pit lane where we are now in the big tower stop shuffling around nick um is uh, we can actually see the cars coming down the dotty and onto the start finish line in the grand prix and if i lean back a little bit i can just see the cut through going on to the nordschleifer as well uh, we're looking down at the petrol station um on the back of the the paddock here the hyundai unit is just off to our left as well and uh It's still very, very busy, even at this time of the evening. Uh, So Midweek Motorsport, live from the Nürburgring ring with uh, Heindorf, Palmer, Bradley, and later on Paul Trusswell, Nick Damon is is back at home. And and Nick, we'll stay with you and then we'll let you go and do other things this evening uh, when we we go back onto the rest of the sports car news uh, and go back a little bit looking at Le Mans. Um, MotoGP at the weekend, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, the only reason I know there was MotoGP at the weekend is because I passed all the trucks coming up the road. <laughs> so I've, I don't know where they're going to, um, but they were heading up north through France. So yeah. they, had they been at Barcelona at the weekend?
1: They have been at the Catalonian Grand Prix, because remember, you know, there are 1.7 million um, mm. Grand Prix's uh, within um, the wonderful world of uh, Spain and they are driving up to Assen because the next Grand Prix is the Dutch Grand Prix. They've got plenty oh. of time to do it though it's not. it's not this weekend, it's next weekend. Um, yes, the the, Dutch, the, the oh. Catalonia Grand Prix uh, was decided on turn 10 of lap 1, uh, which is at the end of the short oh. straight where the first bit of DRS is, as you know, the F1 circuit. Uh, when Jorge Lorenzo uh, decided to, from from once having qualified, decided to um, what we're going to describe as have a complete brain episode, and locked his front wheel, dropped the bike, and in dropping the bike, he managed to collect Andrea Di Maverick Vinales, and then to cap it off, Valentino Rossi as well, and take them all out. Just went straight Oops. through the... the, the and, and unfortunately, what that meant was, a certain M. Marquez uh, then had a quite sizable lead... And everyone who was going to catch him up wasn't there anymore. So uh, Mark One extended his lead to, I think, 37 points now, I think it is. So he is a massively a, a, a lumberhead. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was the story of the race. The story of the qualifying is that uh, um, Mr. Quantarano, who I must learn how to pronounce his name, uh, from Richard he, he got a poll. He got a pole. He was his first pole. And he also finished second. Wow. Uh, Dino Petitio was third, Rins was fourth, Miller was fifth. But the basic thing is that we are now at the point where Marquez doesn't actually even need to win races anymore. He can just, just stroke it home because he's got that big cushion. So it's a bit unfortunate. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. It was, he was just, just trolling around at the front. And then just a Lorenzo who apparently has decided to effectively ruin his legacy by being dreadful and now careless. Mm. Um,
2: Quattararo, the Frenchman, the young Frenchman I think he's an absolute superstar in the making I really do it Do Got that Yamaha on the port position Got within 2.6 seconds of Marquez on the Repsol Honda at the end Alright, I know Marquez was easy enough at the end But still a fabulous ride um, from the young Frenchman And I and I think he's got to get a factory ride He has got to be on the lists, hasn't he? Uh, he's done. Uh, this is, I think, this is still only his first season in
1: mortal GP, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he's yeah. a great rider. I, mean, I, mean, uh, I passed the, the. Go on. Sorry. No, the question really is whether you know with, with Yamaha in in the doldrums, uh, where do you? Where, yeah, does he does he take Vinales' seat? I still think Vinales is signed for next year as well. We know that um, uh, Rossi's signed for next year. Um, so do they just give him a works bike? But let run it by somebody else, you know. So that's the question. But um, uh, yeah, they, it's, 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 it's disappointing. I think that Marquez is, is is a is a fabulous, 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 fabulous rider. But he really is being handed these championships over the last couple of years.
2: Well, he would be able to go on holiday over the summer again. I, I passed the um, the um, Valentino Rossi team. Um, Transporter and a couple of others heading up the uh, heading up the motorway, and uh, they were all driving in convoy. Obviously, um, so that was the that was the only reason I knew that there'd, there'd been a Grand Prix at the weekend because we'd been rather busy elsewhere. Uh, but we'll pick up on that in a well. Actually, where did you say the where next? Assen. So whose track is that? Because we haven't got a show next week, so um, we won't be able to preview that. So uh, whose whose track is Assen? Does that belong to Honda or Ducati? Oh, no, you've got
1: to look in. No, it's the one which often throws up the uh, the wild result of the season. You know, the you know, Jack results. Miller one there a few years ago. I mean, it does happily being on the north, so you often have a bit of rain. It's got some wind. And it's a track that doesn't really favour or unfavour anybody, but it does seem to be a rider's circuit. So it often does this is the one where you will often get an interesting result. I think historically Ross has done very very well mm-hmm. there, but then historically he's done very, very well everywhere. Seems reasonable.
2: Uh, Right, thank you very much indeed, Nick Damon. And uh, as I say, no show next week, so it'll be at least a couple of weeks before we (laughs) speak to Nick again. And uh, we'll say for the moment at least, thank you, Nick, and good night. Night, chaps. So that leaves us here uh, with Kerry up in London uh, and the boys here at the Nürburgring. Yes. Hello. And we'll go back to uh, sports car racing in a moment, but I suppose we should have a bit of a chat about here. Now, the issue is that even though we've spent most of the day here today before coming on air, um, there isn't, Johnny, really a definitive entry list, and there probably won't be until, what, Thursday, Friday?
3: Well, it depends how much you rely on... uh on certain websites at this point of the week, but um, I think it was going to be roughly 34 SP9 cars, which right. is a cracking entry. And uh, Paul Troswell and I were talking earlier on um, when we got to the track that there is a, a change of how the top 30 qualifying is going to uh, work as well, i.e. Uh, because it's so difficult to follow when you're uh, in the qualifying session. Bear in mind there are, there are pre-qualified cars already from... Two of the VLN races, there are, well, two, the two VLN races that have already happened. There's also some cars that have qualified from the N24 qualifying race, too. And then the last few that uh, go into what used to be known as top 30 qualifying are decided qualifying in the event, but they're going to do some sort of balance of performance method of getting these right. last few cars in. Uh, you know how tricky it is, <laughs> even in previous years, when we've been trying to work out, right, is that car already in from the from the races we've already had or not? Um, apparently, we're not going to know for sure until they kind of issue the press release at the end of the day because it's going to be this fluid motion and there's, there's almost like a w- judging panel to say, well, do they deserve to get in? Uh, let's have a look at their lap times in the session and is that a good enough lap time to warrant a position in the top 30
2: so that'll be after the qualifying on Thursday is that yes and we do top top 30 qualifying on Friday uh, it's actually quite a relaxed. Yeah, that's how it normally
3: works, isn't it? Yes.
2: It's quite it's quite relaxed on Thursday. We're not, we're not going to go into massive detail here, dear listener, because we've got plenty of time to do that. Uh, I mean, in I can, our, can in give our you the Tomorrow on or Friday, uh, quarter past midday UK for the first practice is when we come on air on which Thursday. Is a, which at is a twenty
3: past session, yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, and then twenty five minutes past seven in the evening UK time for the second qualifying that runs. Into the darkness. Yeah,
3: so that local time is 8.30 until 11.30.
2: Yeah, Okay. That'll be a late night. Mm -hmm. We're not keeping our neighbours up there. So
3: that's that's the first qualifying session. Second qualifying session for the 24-hour cars is Friday. Friday.
2: And I've got that. uh, We're coming on at 10 minutes before 2 in the afternoon UK time.
3: Yeah, Uh, it's actually a a 5-2 start. Interesting. And And then it goes through to quarter 2.00. Not the next hour, but the next hour after that.
2: And then we've got 10 to 6 in the evening at uh, UK time on Friday, June the 21st, this is. Yep. That's N24. Qo- now, presumably, that's the top 30 show notes.
1: Well,
3: not necessarily, because there may be a few more than 30. They, the 30 bit of it's been dropped from the title now. It's just top qualifying. We may have 31 cars in it. We may have 32 cars in it, but it's not a 30 limit anymore. Might
0: we have 25 cars in it?
3: Uh, we might have fewer than 30, I believe. Um, not sure whether it's going to be as, as few as 25. It might be 29. All right. But it's all dependent on, as I say, there are places already reserved for the cars that have done well in the pr- previous VLN races. I don't know what happened to the one that snowed that was snowed off, of course, because we only had one lap. Best in that. snowman. Best, Best snowman, snowman built <laughs> at the side of the road. Yeah. yeah? Longest lasting Seems snowman. Fair. obviously. Whoever found race. a carrot? Yeah.
2: I mean, Would've I've got
3: a, I've got a list here of, of the cars that are already in. I'm, I don't think we necessarily need to bore you with that. How many are yeah. there? Uh, the question, question is whether they're. Uh, duplicated as well. Unfortunately, my German's not quite up to scratch, and although they do English versions of some press releases, there ain't an English version of this one yet. Well,
2: there's 17 there. Yeah. Numbers uh, 98, 101. And how many's there? That's another. Well, there's more than 30 there, straight away.
3: Well, there are 34 SP9s. Are they all SP9s on your list? Uh, there's an SPX No, there's an SPX and then there's another sheet of SP9s, Pro-Ams and Pros and things. But um, And there's so, an SP Pro, in fact, so the Gazoo Racing Lexus LC, car number 56, which is actually an SP Pro entry. Uh, that's also on the list and perhaps eligible. But as I say, you've got, in previous years, let's go with two normal VLN races. You get a clump of VLN car, of cars that finished in the top six in VLN 1, the same in VLN2, there's a certain amount through from the qualifying race mm-hmm. as well, which was six hours, mm-hmm. and then there are a certain amount of slots. The danger is that there are cars that they think, the officials think, should be in the top 30, and maybe there's not enough room for them, so they will evaluate the times, and there may be actually been out a few SP7s that we've had in the top 30 in the past, in favour of SP9s that really should be at the front of the grid.
2: And then they're, when they go into top qualifying, as it's called... That's still setting those top places, positions one, however many there are. Yeah. And yeah. do do only the top thirty, if there are more than four, four thirty, get the blue light, or does everybody in that top qualifying have a blue light? I actually
3: in? don't know the answer to the blue light, but I would imagine if if you were lucky enough to get into the top thirty, then yeah, another one of your right. rewards All is, is right. the ability to show everyone in front.
2: Shall I tell you what? You've got a fast car. Um, quarter past 12, 12.15 UK time uh, on. Thursday, June the 20th, that's tomorrow if you're listening to this show live at the, uh, at, the at the moment, as we're heading on to, uh, what, quarter to nine here in the UK, Joe Bradley and uh, Johnny Palmer uh, forming half of the team, it'll be me and Paul Truswell the other half, and are we are we getting a bit of haven this weekend as well? Possibly, possibly a bit of haven weekend, depend, uh, depending on whether he's, uh, how busy he is with the uh, with the World Touring Cars, which is a support race this weekend. So there'll be plenty more chat on that. We're not going to go through entry lists and such like now. So um, we'll pick up a, a little bit more of that as we uh, we come through. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport from the Nürburgring with Kerry uh, making sure we get to the world back in London. Uh, in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, we'll have Trusswell here, Mr T. Uh, he has set up the mobile walking data centre just off to my left. It's all ready to go uh, and it's it's polling all kinds of information at the moment. Uh, and I'm, I'm scared to look over there in case it's monitoring people's phone calls. I'm, it has got a life of its own. Uh, that uh, just a quick remember m- reminder from the uh, from the weekend the hashtag mobile one rlM thank you very much for keeping that going and that's really important particularly uh, if you have been drawn and why wouldn't you be to uh, radiolamon.com if you go there and scroll down a little bit the right hand side there's a big blue button with radio show limited store and store now live written on it if you open that, either in a new link or a new tab or a new window, it will take you to fulltalkgear.com and our Radio Short Limited collection. Now, we've just got some of these delivered to us here, and they are brilliantly wonderful. I absolutely love them, particularly the uh, Lesartes tea, which only came out as the trickler was being uh, raised and lowered. waved was the word I was looking for, by uh, Her Serene Highness Charlene of Monaco, um, we've got the Midweek Motorsport Helmet tee on uh, black or white uh, with uh, women or men's fitments there in a, a huge helmet or a small helmet. Don't Just don't go there. As well as the uh, Radio Show Limited swoosh as well, if you want to be a little bit more discreet. And if you enter Mobile One, RLM, when you check out, you'll get a 10% Discount. There's also some very natty Radio Show Limited mugs as well on there. Uh, and that's uh, Europe and the US. So we've got fulfillment in both sides thanks to the guys from uh, F- a Full Talk Gear Automotive Apparel. Uh, so that's where you want to be. Mobile One RLM for the discount there. And whilst I have your attention and you're on a bit of a bargain hunt, if you wanted to go and see the first round of the 2019 20. FIA World Endurance Championship at Silverstone when that kicks off the new school year of racing off, that is the 30th of August I think to the 2nd of September 1st of September uh, uh, that is at Silverstone the home of British Motor Racing go to www.silverstone.co.uk and enter into that RLM30 and you'll get a whopping 30% off uh, and I'm told that that is for single-day tickets now, as well as for uh, for weekend tickets. I've just had the nod. RLM30 for that. So there's a couple of things that are continuing on, uh, and we still want your um, nominations, please, for the Mobile One Moment of Le Mans. Uh, it may have been at the track. It may, be, it may have been away from it. Uh, in text or in picture, preferably in picture, uh, and that is the hashtag uh, Mobile One RLM Memory. Mobile One RLM Memory. Um, I'm sure, once you get in, you'll see that. Paul, we've got some fantastic Porsche and Mobile One uh, goodies for you there. Um, we have got about ten, twelve minutes before we do the still to come, and I want to get Paul in after still to come, guys. So we, before we talk about uh, the raw data that Paul was crunching in the back of the Hyundai on the way here. Uh, on Monday, um, you've had a couple of days now, Johnny Palmer, to think about that race and reflect on that race, to dream about that race, as you have had a bit of sleep as well. Thank goodness. Uh, and just looking back at it now, with a couple of days' grace behind you, mm-hmm. what what's, what now are you starting to see as the things that, that stuck out? And whether are the same things that stuck out immediately and when the... The nerves were still raw, where we were still tired. Or have things changed a little bit for you?
3: Um, GT still needs sorting. Safety cars didn't work for me. Um, even Richard Leitz, who finished second in the race, said one of them wasn't necessary. Uh, whereas everyone that finished. Third and beyond, you know, further down, the order said none of them were necessary, frankly, and they could have done it in a different way.
2: Well, they were going to do it with full cars, you know as, weren't they?
3: Uh, yeah, they tried that, and, and then, you know, we started getting damage to tyre walls and and barriers, and it just wasn't possible to have cars going around at 80 k's with marshals out, out on track with sledgehammers and uh, tractors. So, I like your idea of throwing the safety car and then slowly taking one in you know one in one lap one in the next time and then you've got one long line of cars i don't Johnny, understand why they do can't with that work. on
2: one lap man it's so long isn't it that, that lap at le mans so that the safety car that gets the leader of the overall leader of the race yeah he is then the default number one safety car
3: yeah yeah, but it's about neutralising the track as quickly as possible. So I get why there are three, because it's going to take... Oh, yeah, you no,
2: but, but I'm saying, once you've neutralised the track...
3: You mean you can get back to green you, in one lap? As
2: you're going back yeah. to green, all you have to do, withdraw the third safety car, yeah. withdraw the second safety car, and let everybody close back up and restart. Now, you could say, of course, ah, but what happens if you've lost touch? That still wouldn't stop you losing touch with your class leader. And so then are you going to have a wave-by?
3: Mm. Uh, Well, the danger is, of course, Safety Car A, let's suppose Safety Car A picks up the overall leader. There is no guarantee that the GT leader is in that train.
2: Um, GT leader could be just not having been lapped while the rest of the GT field has been. Yeah. And if you do it the way I'm going to see it, that means he doesn't just get a minute and 20 up the road. He's going to get a whole lap on the field. Virtually a whole lap. So then if you do it my way, you've got to do a wave by. Yeah. Or a pass around? Uh,
3: yeah, possibly. Or some
2: description. And that just means another lap. It means another nine minutes behind the safety car. Yeah. But either you accept that, you know, my issue is that we have this conversation over and over again, and people will say, oh, I don't like the way it happens in the States because it takes too long. But what they're trying to do in the States is mitigate the effect on the other classes. Yeah. And that's why it takes longer. Which is why full-course yellows, of course, that's the proper way to do it. Don't have safety cars at all. Have code 80s. Mm. Maybe you have code 80s and slow zones as well within the 80s where you go down to 40. Where Mar- we, had, we had marshals working in slow zones mm. when, the, when the rest of the, the circuit wasn't neutralised. That's
3: probably the best way of... True. Feeling. I mean, you think about how a race like uh, here, the Nürburgring runs... You know there are there are intervention vehicles out on track, and all they do is they you'd use code 60s now, which mm. you know Kreventik invented. Well,
2: uh, mm, yeah, they developed it. I think it, Dutch okay. supercars had it super, for a little uh, while. You're right. Mm. I, I was
3: never sure whether Kreventik looked after Dutch supercars at those, in those years. Mm. Anyway, it has come from the Netherlands. I think it's fair to say originally, um, and it's now very much in action here. And you you are overtaking lorries effectively Mm. on a very narrow much narrower track than Le Mans Uh, and there can be instructions of keep left or keep right along a certain bit they could even cone sections off potentially like they do here Um, yeah I I mean if you're going to do wave buys it needs to be a very quick process uh, because the danger is you get a safety car period straight into another safety car period and in in an hour you don't see any racing for 45 minutes of it I wouldn't like to see that Um, is there a way of As the safety car comes through with a jumble of GT cars, you actually make them peel off into the pit lane and form up an order at the end of the pit lane at a red light. And then they just, once the safety car trains by, just tag them on the back. Um, But again, you've you've got to make sure they're in some sort of order. What I don't really want to see is, as we had in this year's race, the top two separated. I think it was the Ferrari and the 91 Porsche, well, and they became in the in the totally different safety car. And that's yeah. exactly what happened last year with the with the, the pink there was, pig.
2: There was an unerring ability, and I'm I'm saying this with tongue fir- firmly in cheek because you know it's safety. Therefore, you've got to neutralise. But there seemed to be an unerring ability, Joel, for the safety car drivers to get in between two and three and four second gaps between GT cars that were battling, and yet the safety car managed to get out in between them. Mm. The other thing for me that to be able to do there would be able to say, right, we've neutralised the race, that's fine. Uh, safety car two, you need to let the next four cars go through and catch back up again.
0: We're we talking, the safety car deployments, I think, remember, at Le Mans, were, um, they were deployed when we had the Geometer, if that's what it's called, um, registering the blue light um, The blue light went off in cars the medical that had shunted. It's, it's, the it's medical called light. The, medical light. the
2: medical light, and it's called that for a reason. Yes,
0: because the driver has been subjected to a, a certain amount of Gs, so we have to have a medical intervention. And you know what? It doesn't matter what you do in those circumstances, you can't criticise. They need to be rapid in their response. It's the aftermath of once we've responded, once we've uh, gathered what we are dealing with, then we can start... Um, adjusting the cars behind the safety well, no, car. I, th- and I think, I, think and you I do think
2: that and the moment. I think the moment that you've got the field under control, whether there's work well, going yeah, on that's, or not, that's what I mean, yeah. once you've got the field under control, yeah. whether there's work going on or not, you should be using that time to say, right, can we take out these these two, yes, other two safety that's cars? Exactly what can I mean. we get everybody back in one line? Right, yes. Right, who... Hang on a second. The... GTA GT arm leader got, got, waved, got waved around because he just hadn't been lapped. And, and that means the rest of the GT arm field is now a lap down. Uh, right, tell me what we need to do. GT arm runners pull out of line plays and pass the safety car. Because there'd only be one safety car by that point in my world. Mm-hmm. Off you go around. And then you can start doing that adjustment. So you're actually doing something useful whilst the barrier repair's is going on.
0: And it's relatively easy to do because of GPS.
2: Super you easy know exactly
0: do. where cars are, and you're able to see that overview pretty much immediately, aren't you? And what you and do then, is the react.
2: area. What you do is the area where there is the work going on effectively remains a slow zone. The safety car goes at safety car speed. They release everybody else, and everywhere except where the the, the work's going on, they can drive at a faster speed so they can catch up quickly.
4: Mm.
2: And then, once effectively. Once you've got everybody back in line, you don't need the safety car. The safety car can pull off and you just go to a full course yellow and then you can restart the race if you need to. You can leave the the, the, the slow zone in. There's no need to neutralise eight and a half miles if there's only two hundred and fifty yards of track that you need to slow it's people. Very true. Town.
0: Very very, very true, especially a a track like that.
2: I, I actually wonder whether we ever need safety cars at the moment.
0: Uh, that's not my
2: because I thought those full cast yellows, Johnny, worked really, really well early on.
3: They did, yeah, they did. And
2: uh, that, that but sometime why after seven o'clock, we abandoned that that procedure.
3: <laughs> I'd love to get I'd love to get the take on that from the officials, whose ever whoever's decision was that to seemingly change tack. I mean, that's mm. what it appeared to be from the outside, um, and obviously, you know, I wasn't doing the whole race, so I don't know how things were done overnight. But I assume we had what well, we needed. Lots of safety cars to get to the total number of eight, I think it was, by the end, by the flag. Um, so maybe they just abandoned it. Maybe they just said, this is far quicker way of doing it. The safety car goes round. I think, at about 130, 120, 130 k. So it is faster than a slow zone.
2: Can that? Yeah, it's faster than a full course yellow, which is early.
3: Well, the slow zone and the uh, full course full yellow course is the same speed. Right, yeah. OK. Yeah.
2: Um, there is one good reason for having safety cars, of course. mm mm-hmm. Porsche paid a lot of money to have their cars That's there? true, mm. yeah, indeed. Motor marketing, isn't it? So if you don't have a safety car, what's the point of charging a manufacturer a whole bunch of money to be the official safety car of the World Endurance Championship and the
3: whole? Yep.
2: Just saying.
0: So can I drag this back to the sport and not right, cynicism?
2: No, 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 that, that's not, I'm just saying... I'm it's not a saying good... That it's was a, and that's, a,
0: that's why we'll I'm, continue with safety cars. I'm not, not saying that
2: was, that was necessarily a... a, a, a Part of the thought process. Quick thought from you as we're coming up to to nine o'clock. Quick thought from you about the race itself. Yeah,
0: we're going to go into this much more in detail than what I'm about to say. But for me, when I think about the 2019 Le Mans 24 Hours, I'll think about Mike Conway. Right now, there's a Mike Conway flag flying at Le Mans. Mm. He absolutely owned the place. And it was just such a tragedy how he was. I'm going to use the term robbed. Interpret that as you want.
2: He did drive very well, didn't he? Bloody awesome. Was was that his best drive? I
0: think so. And considering he had that little bit of an upset with that coming together with the car, um, it was um, it was the uh, Dragon Speed mm. car that's the, um, that w- was coming back onto the track. And, and he was and under a cloud for that and, because and he, he, was in, under, yeah,
2: he, he missed the double yellows, he yeah. missed the, the flag in the cab, um, which <laughs> is right in front of him. You know what? For me,
0: that shows how dangerous these cars are. The vision... The peripheral vision is zero. No. The vision out of, out of those cars is look, is, is look, com- That was
2: his only mistake of the weekend. Yeah. and you you can't did admit not, Didn't upset job. him, though. I know what he said. He said, because he said it to me directly, he said the left-hand A-pillar was blocking out the double yellows. Mm. But there's a screen in front of him that's flashing yellow in a dark car, telling him exactly on the circuit where it is.
0: He didn't know where the car was rejoining the track. Well, that was clearly he was unsighted. But he did not slow down. That's why he was penalised. That's, That's why he was penalised. That's why it was, he was his penalized. fault. That's why everything else,
2: as all mitigating circumstances, I abso- absolutely agree that there was everything else was mitigating circumstances. But he didn't slow down because he didn't see either the flag or the flashing yellow lights. That there's a there's a screen about the size of a um, a, a medium size sat nav screen right on the top of the dash and it flashes up specific flags for you and flags around the track at the instant they come out. It's a magnetic Morelli system. It's very good. I used to help set it up when I worked on the WEC TV. I used to drive one of the safety cars around so that we could see where it was working and there wasn't any dead spots to have it happening. And he missed that right in front of him. That he didn't let whatever that whatever put that it, I'm not, I,
0: I, I didn't want to dwell on that at all because because he put it behind him mm. very professional and he got on with the job and what a job he did and for me Mike Conway was the star of the show the weekend absolutely awesome drive
2: it's Joe Bradley and uh, also you just heard there from uh, Johnny Palmer I'm John Hindhoff uh, and we're at the Nürburgring for a special post Le Mans event because we don't normally have this show we normally take a week off and lie in a dark room and be rubbed down with rhubarb and halibut fat but this week we have just warmed up for the Nürburgring 24 hours by having the Le Mans 24 hours and yet there's still another hour of Midweek Motorsport to come
0: still to come on Midweek Motorsport and
2: is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth please that's very good uh, We could have to do with some dessert as well, Mark. Uh, Still to come on the second half of this special programme from the Nürburgring uh, with uh, our team for the N24 this weekend all here. Uh, We'll be talking more about the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, We'll be having a look back and crunching some numbers. And, of course, talking about another 24-hour race this weekend. It's 24 hours, but it's a very different event in so many ways. That's all still to come on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. It's Midweek Motorsport. Hello. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. So we move into the second hour and Johnny Palmer has stayed with us. I
3: have.
4: And joining us is Paul Truswell. Good evening, Paul. Hello. Hello. How are you feeling? Oh, actually, very, very good. Um, I don't know how I'll be feeling after this 24 hours, but yes, uh, so far, so far, yeah, one twenty four one 24 hour I can do, that's fine. Uh, we have to yeah. think that in this time next
2: year, we'll have been doing it, th- how does it fall next year? It's Nürburgring and then Test Weekend? Oh, or is it Test Weekend and then, no, uh, Test Weekend. Or is it Test Weekend and then Nürburgring? No, no. Nürburgring and then Test Weekend. Okay, fine. I thought about it far
4: yeah, okay. I, I, I don't
2: know what I'm doing in August. <laughs> no, well, yeah, yeah, well there's yeah, there's a bit of all of us like that. But you, you did not spend the time idly driving up in the mighty Santa Fe from uh, Le Mans to the Eiffel Mountains on Monday, and you were tippity tap. One of the great features of the Hyundai Santa Fe. Thank you very much, Hyundai UKPR, by the way, uh, for powering Trustwell, Literally on the way up because there is an inverter in that and a 220 uh, volt supply for your laptop and you were drawing graphs and you were doing spreadsheets and bar charts and pie charts. Or was Johnny just eating the pies? Yeah, always.
4: Always. (laughs) Uh, I mean, no, very very nice. I mean, privacy glass in the back as well, so nobody could actually tell what I was did doing. Did you have the
2: little screens up as well, the little uh, well, fold-up screens? I had
4: to at one point because the sun was coming in, and right. uh, and Joe refused just to turn to sort of the, the five degrees to the left that I needed him to.
2: That was possibly because the road wasn't going that way. But, you know, and I, I, I see where you're going.
4: I did ask. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Um, but but you know so um, it was a very productive uh, um, drive back and then a very productive day yesterday just uh, confirming all the data was correct because we had a slight glitch on the timing um, but uh, we've um, I've, I've now made the adjustments that were required for that um, and it echoes exactly what Joe was just saying about Mike Conway um, as an, an an unparalleled driver I mean nobody in the in the whole field. Took the car that he or she was driving through the 24 hours, and um, was consistently quicker than anybody else than Mike Conway did. Yeah, yeah. um So uh, no hats, hats off to uh, to Mike for that. Very good performance. Well, well,
2: and let's talk about the the Toyotas. Let's let's start at the front of the field because obviously you know the, the conspiracy theorists are out about what happened at the end. I'm not touching that. I'm really not. Um, I know the guys at it, Toyota Gazoo Racing. And I heard, in particularly in the interview, that Andrew, I think it was, did that with John Lutyens, how gutted they were. You could see in the faces how gutted they were. However, we have to tidy one thing up about that um, eight car, wasn't it? Um, because they did an extra pit stop that, that slipped in under the radar, didn't the, they? The, the seven car. The, the seven car, excuse yeah. me. Yes, the seven, the seven car with Jose Maria Lopez. Uh, slipped an extra pit stop in under the radar. Um mainly because we weren't looking for it, but also because there was a slight hole in the time-space continuum as far as the <laughs> time, timing was concerned at that point. And, and that actually started off, and we, we haven't got to the bottom of that, and we really should should do, but that really started off their wars because it was a, a stop after an exceedingly short stint of, what, just six laps?
4: That's right. It was, uh, uh, it was when Kamui Kobayashi was at the wheel of the car and he did, as you say, a six-lap stint. Now, it was a a stint that we didn't see on the television. Um, And this was, what, 21, nearly 22 hours into the race. Um, So with um, a little over two hours still to go. Um, Nobody was expecting him to come in because it was six laps in. It was a quick pit stop. Um, didn't take any longer than any normal pit stop, and he was away again, and nobody picked it up. And because I was trying to cope with other things that had gone on with the, with the timing, I missed it as well. Um, but it was only when he then didn't come in at the time that I then expected him to that I thought, "Hey, this isn't quite right." Um, and so, what we don't know is what that. Uh, what the reason for that pit stop was. If um, anybody has uh, the data and wants to start looking at it, it was the 32nd pit stop of that number seven car, which was the extra one that we're we're talking about. Um, But we haven't got to the bottom of that. So if ever we do a post-Le Mans visit to Toyota, it might be interesting to find that one out. I've sent a couple of journalists to to try and track it down as well. And uh, seeing as a lot of the journalists who were at Le Mans... Uh, c- have come along to the Nürburgring as well um, when they arrive here and we can get them nailed down to one of their desks and uh, I'm going to ask a few questions right. to see uh, what that was. But my suspicion is that it was for a puncture. My uh-huh. suspicion is they thought, oh, we've got a puncture alarm, we'll come in. Um, and it was the beginning of the um, the malfunction or whatever it was that was going on with their tyre pressure monitoring system. I don't deny that there was a puncture, um, Although, interestingly, that is one of the commit cons- conspiracy theories and it was totally the censors which were um, going wrong. Well, I, I was told after the event, and I
2: think possibly after we'd gone off air, might have even been on Monday when I was back at the track, um, that on his outlap, after changing all four tyres, Jose Maria Lopez got the same warning and was mm. told to just reset it and carry on. Mm. So uh, still something not quite right there.
4: Uh, so it would seem. Um, however, as I say... Let's we not, went through that in Michelin Porsche yeah, race, let's, let's move not, on. Let's not worry about uh, that as such. Um, the, the thing that, uh, or the other thing, which I think is surprising, I haven't spoken about Mike Conway's uh, performance, uh, was the performance of the number three, Rebellion. Mm. Um, because um, for 80% of the race, that was the second fastest car. It was faster than the number eight Toyota that won the race. That won the race.
2: Right, hang on, just sit, run through that again. There will be a lot of people who will be craning their necks back to their speakers there. So, the second fastest car for by far the majority of the race was the number three Rebellion, not the number eight Toyota. So, it was number seven Toyota, then number three Rebellion, then. Number eight, Toyota, 80% right. of the
4: race. That's right. So what, 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 um, what I do, what a lot of um, other people do, if you buy race car engineering next month, then you'll see it in there, is you plot the fastest laps of each car in order of fastest lap. So rather than do it in order that the laps actually happened, which inevitably is up and down and very difficult to read because you've got traffic coming in, you've got pit stops coming in, da-dee-da. What you do is you plot them in the order of fastest lap, going up to slowest lap. And as I say, you, if you then compare each car with one another, inevitably the fastest one is at the bottom because it's the quickest uh, and the slowest one is at the top. But as I say, for 80% of the race, the number three was quicker than the number eight. So yes, the number eight was quicker. And incidentally, it was probably saving between five and 10 seconds per pit stop to the Rebellion. Um, so, and it Sorry, was, say that again. Pit stops for the Toyotas were between 5 and 10 seconds right, okay, quicker. Okay.
2: Um, so the 7 was quicker than the Rebellion, but yes. the 8 wasn't
4: for most of the time. Correct. Okay. But the 8 was less time in the pits, which is right. why it ended up being at the end of the race, that far ahead of the Rebellion. Right, got you. Um, but as I say, the number 3 Rebellion was a very quick car indeed for, uh, for most of the time. Um, Fernando Alonso? Uh, He was pretty quick, um, and he was certainly the most consistent in the number eight car, um, having just said that it was slower than the Rebellion for a lot of the time. um, Sebastian Buemi did the quickest 5% of laps in the number eight car, but thereafter, it was Fernando Alonso. So, Fernando Alonso was much more consistent over the course of the race, Um, but, as I say, he wasn't quite as quick um, for... the the top five or ten laps, as uh, as Sebastian Buemi was. However, Kaz Nakajima was the slowest of the three. So if you, as I say, want to put the Toyota drivers in order, um, you can put Alonso and Buemi pretty much in the same place, but both of them quicker than Nakajima. In the number seven car, Uh, Very much Mike Conway, the quickest of the three, um, but nothing to choose at all between Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. They were pretty much matching each other lap time for lap time. I
2: I said at the time, and I'll say it again, uh, Paul, and Johnny here, who's still with us here at the Nürburgring, um, I thought that last couple of stints by or by Jose Maria Lopez, were quite simply the best best laps, JP. I've seen him drive in that Toyota. I've been very critical of him. Mm. I thought he was lucky in our preview programmes I've said to Cher, uh and to, to Paul I thought he was lucky to keep his seat particularly when you think of the people he was keeping out of it like Ann Davidson and mm-hmm. um, I can't fault them for those last few, that that last couple of stints. No, he was brilliant.
3: When, when the heat was on and he had very little option but to just push, 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 then we didn't see any mistakes. Um, he did complain about the handling of the car, I think, when he went off twice. Uh, one was into the gravel at Mulsanne, which was particularly costly, I remember, because mm. all four wheels. Dropped into the stones, and it took him a few corners then to clean those Michelin tyres up. The one at Indianapolis was less of an off, he just outbraked himself, but thankfully he didn't go off into the barrier or into the gravel, I don't think. Um, but the cameras were there, of course, catching those mistakes. and People will think, Well, because I thought I actually thought you were a bit harsh on him earlier on in the race, and then he went off twice when I was next on shift, so I thought, oh, Okay, fair enough. Um,
4: and then he puts everything right in that final. That he can't final be quick. stint. So
2: he's just inconsistent. Yeah, I that's, think that's the problem. That's, I think. Paul Paul's lap charts will show that.
4: Yeah. Um, although um, his consistency relative to Kamui Kobayashi, um, there wasn't that much difference oh, between okay. the pair of them. Okay, no. Whereas if you look at uh, Sebastian Buemi, uh, he was definitely the quicker quickest of the three drivers in the number eight car but he could only do it for five laps whereas Alonso could do it for 50 60 laps
2: I, I know there's a split decision on um, Fernando Alonso being part of this Toyota effort for the for this long transition season um, but I think what we have seen Paul is that there's no doubt that the guy can drive a car he slotted into that team he, di- he did his bit last year including that Awesome nighttime stint, and he's done it again this year. And and you know he he hasn't been carried by two by two uh, specialist sports car drivers, and he's not he's not hidden. He's done his time
4: in the car, absolutely. And I'll I'll, I'll put two uh, areas where he has excelled. One is as I've just said, a, a consistency of quick lap times. He can bang in the quick laps after one after another. Whether he's in traffic, uh, whether the car's a bit unbalanced, whatever it is, he can bang in the quick lap times. But the other thing is, which is frequently the, um, the hardest bit for a single-seater driver to overcome, is to slot into a team and to yeah. become part Very of a team. Good point. And Alonso has... Totally become part of that Toyota team, and uh, you see the relationship that he's got with Sebastian Buemi. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I don't watch them in their debriefs, but just from watching their body language together. Um, well, I've seen them off duty and, and
2: spent some time with them at yeah, Sebring, yeah, yeah. funny
4: enough. And, uh, and very much he is part of that. In comparison, just to hark back to the uh, late noughties when uh, Jacques Villeneuve joined the Peugeot team. He was never really no, part of the team. No, he that's was, a good comparison. He was Jack Villeneuve. How important, Johnny, do you think it was
2: for Alonso to go and do a bit of IMSA racing and get that idea of being part of a team? Mm. Albeit with you know with Zach Brown's United Autosport team in Zach. it was less pressurized situation going to to Daytona. Um, albeit he came back and and did Daytona this year with a with a with the Cadillac team that won. So you know, I mean but that was an interesting thing to do to get him in a in a sports car mentality and mm. it seems to have paid off
3: yeah uh, and that's getting him used to prototype machinery so okay no problem with downforce obviously for fernando alonso but uh, it is a bigger car it's a wider car because it's two seater rather than uh, single um you're getting used to i mean Quite a good choice to choose Daytona, I suppose, because it's much more confined uh, environment. That infield section is really nadgy and that's where often you get your lap time because everyone can do the uh, foot to the floor bits of the track. But um, can you race in traffic? It's very busy as well with, with GTLMs and GT Daytona's in there. Mm. Um, so, I suppose I, I'm not sure whether I thought I foresaw a problem with getting into the team. Um, he's had his, he's had uh, certainly teammates in Formula One that he hasn't got on with, hasn't he in the past? Mm, uh, but United Autosports, it's just a, it's a way of getting into a race under the radar. The limelight's not on you. Then you can turn to very much Toyota and being one of the main flag bearers of that mark, uh, and two Le Mans races. Um, Well, it won't have been quite as much of a shock. And also, you're getting used to driving in the dark as well, which is most important.
2: Uh, Away from uh, LMP1 then, Paul. Let's have a look at LMP2.
4: Before we do that, can we just have a look at the uh, SMPs? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Third place car, of course. Um, The two SMPs, one of them uh, having had the accident which uh, took the number 11 car out, um, which was kind of a shame. Um, Sorry, the number... 17 car out it was the number 11 car uh which finished third the number 17 always get my two smps confused uh the number 17 car uh it was a shame that we lost that one because uh, igor erudshev uh was in that one and he was almost the star smp driver um and because i pay attention to johnny and johnny's been uh um, talking about Igor uh, Arutjev with very uh, uh, high esteem for some time, and so I've kind of glowing. been monitoring in glowing terms. Mm. Uh, I've kind of been monitoring his progress, and uh, he he was the quickest driver. Um, in the number 17 car, quicker than both Stefan Sarazen and Sirotkin, who, of course, has Formula One experience. Um, He wasn't quite as quick as Stoffel van Dorn in the number 11 car, but he was quicker than both Petrov and Mikhail Eleshin. So, uh, great drive from uh, Igor Arvizhev. Good driving as well from Stoffel van Dorn. He was going about point... I'll say three quarters of a second... Per lap quicker on average for the whole race than wow. either Alessian or Petrov. So, Stoffel, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, a very good drive in that number 17 car, and uh, another single seater driver who has adapted to the current breed of LMP1 non hybrids very well indeed.
2: And I thought he was a bit of a star out the car as well, to be honest. Every time we stuck the microphone under his nose, he uh, responded. Uh, let's hope we say a bit more of him as well. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we're normally not on this week, but obviously we are because you're listening to us now. Uh, we're, we're at the uh, Nürburgring. It's a Series 14 episode 24 and that is very appropriate because we're looking back at the Le Mans 24 last weekend and forward a little bit at least to the Nürburgring 24 and that's where we're talking to you from now, from the Nürburgring. Looking down on the paddock area, uh, at least some of the paddock area uh, here at the uh, the Nürburgring. Uh, Paul Truswell and Johnny Palmer, along with Joe Bradley and me, John Hindhoff, uh, on the show this week. Kerry Cobb is back in the UK. Right, Paul, let's let's move on to the LMP2 category. Uh, the interest here for me is, with everybody using the same engine, in fact, the same drive line. the difference between the chassis uh, it comes into stark relief, uh, and also what you do with them. So the drivers can make a difference here. Um, has that shown anything interesting? Uh, has anything interesting shown up uh, on the stats with that?
4: Uh, nothing is... Uh, I, I haven't made an analysis of LMP2, I'm afraid to say. Oh, have you not? Uh, no, no, it doesn't, uh, doesn't fall within the things that I have to be responsible for. Um, but... To um, What I'll do is I'll try and do uh, ad hoc analysis as we're talking, Um, but the point you make about LMP2 is absolutely right, that uh, you are very dependent on the performance of your silver driver, um, and you're also dependent on the performance of your two non-silver drivers uh, to drive quickly because you you, um, you can't make mistakes in LMP2. And the problem is that um, as an LMP2 driver, you have these rocket ship LMP1s coming past you. You have GT cars that you'd really like to be able to overtake, but because they brake differently from what you do, uh, you can find yourself getting into a braking zone uh, and finding a GT car in your way. So driving a P2 car, I think, is one of the hardest jobs to ask somebody to do um although it was interesting at one point over the weekend we did have an interview with ollie jarvis who said that he felt that driving the gtm car was the hardest of the lot because yeah. you were always being overtaken yeah and there the problem is to judge how quickly you're going to be overtaken as to how far back the guys are whereas in a p2 car you're sort of in the middle um but um very much it was the story of the orica chassis again the uh, that car being superior to anybody else um Hats off, though, to United Autosports. They did a very good job, and they, uh, they were very happy that they finished as top non-Orica manufactured chassis. Um, and also, the other thing that uh, Richard Dean would have looked at was uh, how many Oricas were actually behind him in the results page. Um, and I, th- I think there was six Oricas or something that were behind him. Um, and so the leisure may not be an Orica, but it's not bad if it's being run by a proper team um, and they're they're managing it. Um, they're managing it well, keeping it out of the pits. Um, you know that's that's kind of rule one. Uh, making sure that you maximise your the length of your stint when it goes to safety car. And I heard your um, conversations about that. Um, But when it goes to full-course yellow or to safety car, then you get a bit more mileage because you've got to get your driver to fuel Mm. save as soon as you see a yellow flag, and then you can go an extra lap.
2: Was there anything that you saw or felt about how full-course yellows went in the first part of the race that would lead you to think that race control abandoned that strategy, that they had lauded so much prior to the race? But it seemed that after about 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening... We uh, basically didn't go back to a full course yellow. We had safety car after safety car after safety car. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I, I didn't see all of the race at that yeah, point, but I, I um, can't... I can't
4: the, the, uh, all of a I, I,
2: sudden, I, safety car be, became the I default.
4: D- I, I, I know what you mean, and um, I don't want to uh, get involved in controversy. You know I'm not that type of person. Um, I felt that the full course yellow did work well. Mm. Um, You said it.
2: You said it. You and I were chatting about it when I was on the air.
4: We also, uh, and we chatted about this on the air, uh, noticed that the race director, because you can't have one race director for a full 24 hours, they go in shifts as well, and the race directors change from one point to the next, and the ultimate arbiter of any decision is the race director. Um, And... Yes, there did seem to be a change in policy. However, um, we got through the first six hours of the race without any contact of car with barrier or with car against car. The reasons we were having the full course yellows was in order that we could remove debris from the circuit. Um, or cars from gravel traps. Or cars out of gravel yes. traps. So it, it wasn't that we had incidents that involved contact. So, um, as I say, that was um, that was my impression of the way the full course yellows worked. Um, but I don't want to really... Uh, get too much involved in the controversy because it's a bit like uh, um, a, a lot of things. A lot of people have a lot of opinions um, and unfortunately we can't change the world as long as the ACO is in charge of or the yeah. um, the, yeah, the, a, the ACO, the FIA uh, are in charge of the way that uh, safety is implemented in uh, at Le Mans. I, I was at Le Mans, Uh, we were talking about this at one point uh, during the week, although I don't think it was when we were on here, we were having a little chat about it, the first year that safety cars were actually used at Le Mans in 1981, Um, and they haven't been used every year since, it might feel like it, but not quite every year since 1981, Um, but undoubtedly when you put a safety car out there, you are changing the complexion of the race, Um, and You've got to kind of accept that. You're going to change the complexion of the race when you put a safety car out. Now, there are different ways of changing the complexion of the race, but I just wish we didn't have to have have them. No, don't disagree.
2: Johnny Palmer, Paul Trustwell, John Heindorf and Joe Bradley at the Nürburgring for a special midweek motorsport, Series 14, Episode 24. Uh, and we decided to do this because it is Episode 24, normally have this week off, and we're talking about two 24-hour races of last weekend. Uh, at Le Mans and coming up here at the Nürburgring, our coverage starting on Thursday. Check the website for details. Uh, down at the bottom we're on RS1 in sound and vision for many of the sessions as well. Uh, did you track any of the other categories then, Paul? G-
4: GTE Pro? GTE Pro, very much so, because that's where the, uh, that's where the bun fight was, wasn't it? That was where um, you know, it's always a great fist fight in GTE Pro um, and well, well done to uh, AF Corsa, well done Ferrari for finishing up at the top of it. Um, needless to say, they weren't the quickest car. Um, I'll pose you a difficult question, John. What do you think, which do you think was the quickest car in GT Pro? in terms On a of single its aver- lap or no, its average? In terms of its average lap time.
2: Uh, I would say it would be... Nick Tandy's Porsche. It was
4: uh, no, sorry, not, not Nick Tandy's oh. Porsche. Sorry, it was the it was the Porsche, but it was the number ninety one Porsche. The Nick Tandy one was the ninety three car, um, but the ninety one Porsche, which was Ricard Leitz, Fred Makowicz, Jimmy Bruni's car, was the quickest. Really, but second, and this is the uh, one that raises the eyebrows, was the Corvette, uh, the sixty three Corvette, which Jan Magnuson, Antonio Garcia, and Mike Rockenfeller. I mean, they were right in the mix. Um, I felt they lucked in with safety cars and suddenly got themselves in a position where they were at the head of the field uh, of GTE Pro. Uh, and largely it was through, I say lucked in, it just happened to be that the safety car helped them. Um, and then they lost it again from, or they lost that advantage through safety car. So there were two. Uh, uh, impacts that safety cars had, one which helped the number 63 car and one which then pulled it back again. But I thought they did a very good job. Um, and in the end, what well, they were ninth overall. Um, and when you've got second fastest car and you only finish ninth, that's disappointing when there's nothing really that you did wrong, except being in the pits at the wrong time when the safety car was going around.
2: Well, I think there'd be a few people in GTE uh, pro, Johnny, who would say the same thing. We actually had a pretty decent race, but that goes back to the whole safety car intervention thing
4: not quite can i say can I, and i i as i say i'm not trying to get into controversy here well. but because gte pro is so close it only takes the tiniest thing to make a problem mm. and i said a moment ago the safety car will influence the race trouble is when you've got a race where the leading cars are only being separated by uh, less than a tenth of a second in terms of their average lap times that tiny little effect of the safety car suddenly affects the race in a big way. It doesn't happen in LMP1, not because the LMP1s are at the head of the field. It's because the gaps between the P1 cars are so much greater.
2: Mm. And and therefore adding a minute to it or a minute and a half doesn't add, have
4: the same... Add, adding, well, it, it, exactly, but I am saying percent, in percentage terms, if the safety car affects things by 1%, it doesn't really affect the overall LMP1 battle. affects it by 1% in GT. has a massive effect. Yeah. Uh, uh, Johnny,
2: you know, if somebody had said before the race, and in fact they did, because uh, share went around asking us for our predictions, who do you think is going to win? Toyota was going to win. Yeah, all right. Uh, I think we probably would have said... Alonso's car would win as well for all the various reasons that um, the conspiracy theories are out at the moment. Uh, what's going to win in, in LMP2? Well, weight of numbers tell you it's going to be an Oreca. Which one? Not sure, but an Origa, So that was all right. GT Pro. Mm. I'm not sure. I would have picked Ferrari. she loves the... Well, it's a big anniversary this year, so it's their turn. Um, which proved to be true. 70th uh, anniversary of the first Le Mans wing. Corvette
3: in second. No, they weren't in the end. That's an old uh, ah, right, okay. document. Porsche for second. Porsche was second across the way. Corvette could have been second yeah. with a sixty-three, as as Paul's just mentioned. Did and you uh, think
4: Ferrari were going to win though before um, the race? Could you see? It?
3: No, I thought I thought it was going to be the ninety-two again, and the ninety-two mm. led for a considerable amount of the, the early part of the race, and. Uh, Trying to think what their issue was now, the Christensen and Estra car. It was,
2: was it Gearbox? Exhaust. I think. Exhaust. Oh, yes, right. it, had yeah. the, it had to come in for the exhaust uh, and that, and while they were leading. And yeah.
3: then it just tootled round in sort of 10th, 11th position. And actually, they got enough points from there because their points tally in the WEC was already significant enough. They just needed to finish somewhere in the top 10 and somewhere in the top 10 of the WEC runners as well. And that was a finish, basically. As long as they got the thing across the line, they would be fine. Um, but I thought all four Porsches were very strong. The Ferraris have always been very good on fuel consumption, so they might not be particularly quick in qualifying, uh, but they they seem to... I mean, I don't know whether they're ever in a position to eke out another eight-and-a-half-mile lap... At Le Mans, yeah. At Le Mans, but I've, what we found in the WEC races is that uh, they can take a fuel load um, and, and do more miles
4: on it. In the WEC, you're absolutely right, but at Le Mans through Le Mans 2019 for whatever reason Porsche and Corvette did much better on their fuel consumption than Ferrari did and you're right eking eight and a half miles of fuel out uh, of a stint is not really possible however if you have a slow zone or a full course yellow or a safety car that's when you find out who has the best fuel consumption because they can Save that extra bit of fuel um, and in terms of that the most economical uh, just sort by that um the uh, the best hang on the best fuel consumption was put in by the uh the Porsche um and Actually, the Ford's, uh, the 66 Ford had good fuel consumption as well. So um, there, there is that element where um, the normal... I mean, we've, we've said for years the Ferrari has better fuel consumption. Yeah. I think you can say that up to Le Mans 2019, because suddenly, 2019 Le Mans, it didn't happen.
3: Well, also looking at the latest balance of performance sheet that came out on Friday night, it was the second heaviest car after the Ford, And it had the smallest fuel tank of everybody, 89 litres. The next largest tank was 92. And there were some cars running with a 100-litre tank.
4: Yeah, so I think that's kind of pulled them back a little bit. Um, So the Ferrari's advantage um, was being able to go quickly when it needed to go quickly. The problem with the way that the safety cars worked for it even though, uh, it, I mean it wasn't far off being the fastest car uh, on in terms of average lap times but um, it uh, was able to go quickly when it needed to go quickly um, didn't spend very long in the pits um, and I mean that's always a formula for doing uh, doing well at the moment, not spending the time in the pits didn't have any problems um, so a good result for Ferrari but as I say I think Corvette were the ones who can kind of feel most what if what if Yeah, that's a yes. good expression
2: um, uh, bmw one of the bmw's at least i think it was the 81 wasn't it that we had top 5 all of the different manufacturers at one stage during the race but bmw no, i was at the track on monday and you guys know this story but i'll tell the listener as well nothing says to me we can't wait to get out of this championship than seeing someone breaking down their WEC hospitality unit by literally smashing it to pieces. And that's what BMW were doing. Not just the corex boards, the windows, the doors, the door frames, the whole lot. They were breaking it down into bits small enough that they could shovel it up and put it in a skip so they didn't have to take it back to to headquarters. And they were really barely in contention all all weekend with that uh, BMW M8.
4: Shame, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they came into the championship uh and it was uh you know, it was all good news, wasn't it, coming from uh uh coming from BMW, you know, it was an extra manufacturer in, it was a car that might not have maybe going to be battling for the lead straight away, but by the end of the season they were gonna be there. Um I understand they had a lot of problems with the aero, the front aero of it at the beginning of the season, but they were getting to the bottom from the engineering point of view, they were getting to the bottom of that. But then um, I think from a corporate point of view, yes, yeah, the um, the plug was pulled, uh, at least on the WEC program. Um, that's not the end of their motorsport program. Um, and BMW, as we will see this weekend, um he said, tantalising previewing the Nürburgring 24, yeah. uh, will be a very st- strong force to be reckoned with. Um, I think the M6 GT3 is a far better proposition than the M8 and quite why we don't have an M6 GTE uh, as their weapon well, of choice. And I I've, know, said, th-
2: I've said this before, though, Paul, BMW take a very different approach to their GT and endurance racing than any other manufacturer most manufacturers have one car in different states of tune and therefore they amortise the investment. And they've either got a GT3 car that they uh, plus up to a GTE car or they've got a GTE car that they take down to GT3 or they've got a GT4 car that is a slightly dumbed down GT3 or the GT... Four car is something more like a group N car, a bit more road going. But they're normally all the same the same model. You know, Aston, Aston used to do it with different models and they consolidated onto the same Vantage platform. Porsche have been doing that for years. BMW haven't done that. They've got M4 in GT4, uh, M6 in GT3 and M8 in gt
4: and they've got the Z4, which is the best car of the lot. Mm. Um, which they don't <laughs> race anymore. No, there's, uh, one the, the, there's one in the entry. The, the, but, is that but, in, the, the,
2: in, the, in the heritage?
4: 9 last generation. Uh, LG, yeah. that's right, in all LG. All Hopefully, they they're they're relaunching the Z four, aren't they? Well it's the it's the Supra and the Z
2: four are the same platform. Yes. So the new Supra is already out. Yes. The Z four, I don't know whether the Z four gets a hard top or whether it's a soft top only.
4: Love that car. Anyway. Um, cross <laughs> the, of of the band of
2: V8 into it um, to make it competitive. So the
4: BMWs were the second most disappointing element of GTE. Mm. The most disappointing element of GTE I'm afraid. Um was Aston Martin, Mm. Uh, I whisper it because we are in their lounge and um, hopefully they're going to let us stay here. Now I've said that, but I think they will have been disappointed as well. Well, they came, Uh, Johnny,
2: didn't they, with a car that last year they were really struggling with. It was a brand new car. Um, David King, in our um, interview with him and Andy Palmer just after the hypercar announcement, said, you know, some of that was because we were the new boys, the same as BMW were, the, the BOP hadn't kicked in. He said, but honestly, we weren't a- across the car. The car didn't look nice to drive at Le Mans 2018. It looked a far better proposition this year. In some ways, and we'll, we'll get Paul to look at the m- numbers, in some way where they're a bit honest, because they went out and did what they needed to do and didn't really go very much quicker in the race than they'd done do in uh in practice in qualifying, whereas everybody else got much much quicker and played the BOP game.
3: Yeah, yes, true. Um, I think I had a, I had quite a lengthy conversation with John Gore during the week about um, the the different in difference in aero as well because. The air wasn't flowing across the car. Did
2: the SEO ask them to make some changes that, to the that, Aero? That
3: is what John gave me the impression that they had done, yes. Um, and the, I only, At what point? I was only drawn to this because of the balance performance sheet that is issued about weights of cars and size of fuel tanks and amount of bar of turbo. And there's this column, additional comments. And there's only one car that has an additional comment. Yeah. It's the Aston. And this is, it's this thing called Aero Kit B. So I went so to John. So this was
2: post this was the Friday
4: B or P adjustment.
3: No, it was on. It was on all the sheets for Le Mans this year. They've on all the sheets. That they,
4: they've always known they're going to have to run Aero Kit B for yeah. Le Mans. Right. But they
3: have they. So I said, all right. So you ran this at Spa in May, did you, to get ready for Le Mans? No, no. We were with the original Aero Kit then, and it it all seems to be focused around the front splitter of the of the big Vantage AMR. In that the the inlets on the splitter have always tend in the previous design. Pointed upwards, so the airflow is across the top of the car, stabilising it, giving it lots of drag, lots of downforce. And he said that's great for us because it's a, the, the first year of a new car, and what we want to do ideally is go um, go against the grain because we're we're fighting cars that are well established, they've been designed for a long, long time, and if you get in a bizarre race which all of a sudden teams it down with rain, will be really well placed here. Like like what happened in, I can't remember whether it was Fuji or Shanghai, but one of those races, it bucketed down and Aston won. Uh, and they were in a great position to win at Sebring as well. And they'd seen the weather coming in uh, at Sebring, which was going to affect the last 45 minutes. Remember it hammered it down as well. And we were saying, is this going to be two hours of rain? In the end, it wasn't. But again, Aston were in a great position and Darren Turner got taken out and the other car the 95 had to come in to address uh, an illuminated number panel so they couldn't take advantage there either however uh, they had a great result at spa where it snowed again because of all this downforce but the aco uh they obviously have a regulation window and you can when you're designing your car and designing where the air flows across it you can either go the downforce at the draggy end of this performance window or the low downforce performance end of the window, and all the other cars in GTE had gone the low downforce end of the window. So the ACO said, so that we can balance all the cars more evenly and more easily for us, would you mind running in low downforce setting? And Aston said, of course, if that's what you want us to do, we will do that. And that means that we've got great speed down the Mulsanne, but we're going to be a little bit twitchy through the sectors with corners, i.e. sector one and sector three. But we Mm -hmm. will do that, as you've asked us (laughs) to. It was a request. I'm not sure whether they had a great deal of uh, of choice in answering this request. Yeah,
2: and what happened to both the cars? Well,
3: uh, precisely. I think I think the Alex Lynn thing was getting out in the marbles, but then again, it was marbles coming out of Porsche curves through one of the high-speed corners where you need the downforce, and the car flipped around, and Alex couldn't do anything about that and went into the tyres. That was a heavy off. The Sorensen one is bizarre, and, and unfortunately, and we wish Marco Sorensen a speedy recovery. He was meant to be racing at Donington Park this weekend in British GT, and he's had to step away from that because uh, of the doctor's advice. And who's filling in? Uh, I don't know that. I'll have to have a look. Um, but, yes, there's, there's a two-hour race, I think, at Donington Park this weekend. Um but, yeah, coming through the, the kink at Indianapolis, not Indianapolis proper, but I know all of, all of that's essentially Indianapolis. Yes. You He turned right, and the car just broke away at a ridiculous speed and slammed into the tyres um, uh, sideways on. And I remember I was, I was calling the, that bit of the race. I said, something's broken on that car. I must yes. have done.
2: Um, I saw the replays later on because they were showing them in the highlights packages. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been my on that because it it went so quick and with so little warning it was an extraordinary thing
3: so in order to get the straight line speed out of the Aston they they took lots of rear wing out of it and if they'd left the car design at the front of the the Vantage the same it would have been massively imbalanced so um, unclear at the moment who will uh, replace Sorensen
2: um, or whether Bage Dean actually might withdraw. Right. They've yeah, had okay. best of th- it's, um Sorensen runs with Bage Dean, doesn't he? So that's uh, with. Um, oh, man. Jo- Andrew, uh, Howard. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Howard. Andrew, Howard. Andrew Howard. I could, I had, I, I've got Thomas you, you Sorensen and say, Tim Howard in my mind. You Howard, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, Thomas Sorensen and Tim Howard are both <laughs> goalkeepers. I've got th- those in my oh. head there. Thank you, Andrew Howard. Um, I, I, f- fortunately, he was all right. Uh, and.
3: He's got an ankle injury, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was
4: a break, well, but he did hobble away from the car. And also a bit of concussion, I read. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm sure. So, um, you know, and that's always something that they want to uh, monitor very carefully. But um, It's oh, going to be Ross Gunn,
3: by the way. Uh, Ross Gunn. Yeah, Ross Gunn will, will replace Marco right, with okay. Andrew Howard. And they race together in the Michelin Le Mans Cup anyway. So uh, uh, that's the latest, ana- uh, well, the latest indication is that uh, Ross will sit in for a round. Um, but, it, but they, they know each other well and uh, they'll be just as quick, I'm sure. But to, we, to we haven't had a line from Aston Martin to say to say exactly what happened to the 95. The 97 can be explained away because he was on the dirty side of the track, but the 95 was weird because there was no other car around him. But
4: I, I think the thing, um, I, I, I started this little bit of talking about Aston Martin because they were a disappointment. Um, they did receive that balance of performance um whatever the opposite of a boost is um, kick um, it, which happened on friday before uh before the race the yep. friday, and Friday evening at that um, yes there it, uh, it was
3: a smaller fuel tank and, and interestingly that was the only car to have an altered fuel tank on the yeah. Friday thing so you think back to the Fords you know it was always going to be ninety six liters uh, for Ben Keating's car and ninety seven for the works Fords anyway. So two litres taken out of the tank
4: and... But that was because the main difference was the reduced boost.
3: Reduced boost of 0.03 bar. Uh, no, and all.
4: The, it's a ratio, that uh, that number, rather than a bar figure, I think. Fine, okay. Try. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a, a small reduction in boost, but a, as a result of the small reduction in boost, the car uses yet less fuel. So it's a kind of a consequence of that, that the fuel uh, yeah. consumption was reduced. And The wave ev-
3: thing, though, was all... All the cars in the GT class, apart from the Corvette, became five kilos lighter. Yeah. And you thought that that was because they were actually adjusting the Corvette. And that yes. was the easier way of exactly. doing exactly. it.
4: Exactly. But, but so the thing with the Aston, um, it did get this slight um, reduction in boost. And therefore, they felt they'd been hit a little bit on the balance, of production, uh, the balance of performance. Remember, the car was on pole position for the Aston Martin, the 95 car. Um, but if you look at the average lap times for the Aston, it was very nearly two seconds slower per lap that than the fastest.
2: Be, that was going to be my question.
4: And no way to, can that 0.03 on the ratio for the boost have that much of an impact. How was it compared to how it qualified and practised? Exactly. It, I mean. It, so did it go it,
2: slower from how it qualified and practised? Yes,
4: or? yeah. It, it, it was much slower in the race than it was in, quali- in qualifying, but you can't really compare no. like with like because you only have to do one lap in qualifying. On no fuel, virtually, as well. However yeah. much fuel you happen to have in the car. Um, so it, 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 it's always dangerous to compare the race pace with qualifying pace. But as I say, I think that someone in the team or maybe the spirit of the team just got um, the motivation, the chins went down, oh, we've been hit with balance of performance. And they may have made a change to the car to try and overcome it, which clearly didn't work. But I think there was a bit of a psychological uh, factor as well. But I, I didn't. I'd like
2: to run that car with a lot of rake in it. That means the front end of the car sits down lower than yeah. the back end of the car. And th- their default situation now, if they can't get the car to do what they want, is to crank in more rake. Mm-hmm. And I wonder with the Aero Kit B, that that didn't help them Mm. and in fact it might have hindered them there are cases known and and you you never know this without looking at the data but you can get into a situation where the engineers call it negative downforce um, which actually becomes lift lift. (laughs) yes exactly and what you don't want at the back end of a car is the back end going light at certain stages when you are accelerate and when you get your in the car so when you get the car turning or you get the car turning and sliding and it could potentially collect, can can go light at the back end and you know you would think that when you brake everything goes forward and you get the the weight on the front end but you could strange things happen to be where depend on where the center of pressure is in the car and hank hiking a lot of weight weight into that mm-hmm. cranking a lot of mm-hmm. rake into that rather could have that they would have learned They'll go away and lick their wounds. But after the big excitement of pole position on Thursday, gentlemen, and the huge announcement of Aston Martin Racing, a British car company in a race that ultimately has been a British race since 1923, just very kindly put on for us in the middle of France by the the French, uh, coming back to the top class, and then to just basically fade out of contention on a... On a race that they had yeah. such a good chance of.
4: Absolutely, uh, and that's what I mean about the disappointment of it. Um, yes, the crashes were disappointing, but the the pace was disappointing as well, and that's kind of what rankles most of all, I suppose. You know, I like to wave the union flag as much as as, as much as the next man, but mm. um, you, you couldn't do it for Aston uh, at all um, during the one twenty nineteen. But you know, maybe that's the pain they've got to go through, and. um you know, it will strengthen the team and mean that when they do turn up with the Valkyrie um, or whatever it is, it is the Valkyrie. Um, it will. You know, they'll have learnt from that what you know how, how that's going to work.
2: And the Valhalla as well.
4: Um, that's the end of the season.
3: It is, Yes. For
2: the WAC. Yes. And it's a great sigh of relief for a season that started back in. What April, May time right. of 2018? Um, longest Formula, uh, f- longest WEC season that we've had. We head to this school year from now on. But before we do that, we should recognise the champions uh, of that because that's so was there was a always a possibility, Johnny, that the champions might get lost in the mix mm. in terms of, uh, of of Le Mans and the excitement of Le Mans. Um, now, th- there weren't that many championships still up for grabs, um, but there were some significant ones.
3: Yeah, I, I, actually, most of them were still up for grabs. However, they were, for the main part, mathematically de- not mathematically decide- de- decided. But it would have taken a really weird result, yes. for instance, to not have Fernando Alonso, Kazuaki and Sebastian Buemi as the LMP World Endurance Drivers' champions because they had. Uh, a significant lead having won Le Mans in uh, in 2018 and they'd had uh, the win at Sebring of course and two wins at Spa as well so they win the drivers title and remember that that's actually a title that is contested by not only LMP1 drivers but LMP2 drivers as well uh, but it was a Toyota 1-2 so Alonso Nakajima Buemi ahead of Lopez Kobayashi and Conway uh, in LMP2 and that's a teams and a drivers' fight, and because it was a win in the end for the 36 Tech Alpine Matmut crew, and actually a dominant win, even though G Drive ran them uh, for a long, long time, really close. And you know there were times when they were taking chunks out of one another. It was brilliant to watch. But of course, the 26 isn't a WEC entrant, so yep. it wasn't ever taking points away. Tech win then from the two Jackie Chan DC racing cars. 38 finishing second, 37. Uh, finishing third. So Andre Negrau, Nicolas Lapierre, and Pierre Thierrier, the LMP Drivers FIA Endurance Trophy winners after eight races. In GTE Pro, uh, this is a Drivers title and technically a World Championship. Yeah, it is a World Championship. So yeah. Kevin Estra and Michael Christensen with a huge lead coming in because they won Le, Le Mans in 18. Uh, they got themselves 15 points from their result uh, last weekend as well. And... But interestingly, because uh, Pierre Guidi and James Collado won Le Mans and got 38 points, they actually slotted into second place by five and a half points uh, ahead of uh, Ricard Leeds and Jimmy Bruni. So it was tight for second in the end. And the the Ferrari guys nip into second place.
2: The... the, the, Manufacturers Championship, Porsche had already won of course, hadn't they? Uh, yes. Before we got to Mans
3: Yes, so Porsche finish on 288 points because they got 42 and the Ferrari win gave them 41 but it was never going to be enough because there was a gap of about 100 points already. Uh, so Porsche 288, Ferrari 194, Ford 178 and Aston Martin 136 ahead of BMW.
2: Um, that, that ends. Th- well yes, yeah, still provisionally, yes of course. Indeed. Um, w- that ends the 2018-19 season. The 2019-2020 FIAWAC calendar starts at the four hours of Silverstone. Don't forget RLM30. If you're buying two or more tickets, that'll get you your discount at www.silverstone.co.uk silverstone.co.uk uh, Silverstone through a bit of a gap until early October. Then they're mm. off to Fuji. Fuji to Shanghai uh, in November, the 10th of November. Uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, one, no, that's right, I think.
4: Two, three.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, that's right, yes. Uh, f- then to Bahrain for eight hours in Bahrain.
3: Yeah, remember there's this mixture now, duration. So it's actually four hours at Silverstone, four hours of Shanghai, six hours of Fuji.
2: Eight hours of Bahrain, the 14th yeah. of December. Yeah. Then we're off, uh, you're off for Christmas um, for a little while. And we are... Well, actually, before it all, they're at Barcelona in July for a prologue. Uh, so, when do we, where do we go? Where's the fifth round, then? Uh, the fifth S- round Sao must Paolo. be Sao Paulo. That's on the same... 1st of February, that's on the same weekend as uh, Bathurst 12 hours. Uh, sixth round will be the 1,000 miles of Sebring on the 20th of March. They're still saying that's the 1,000 miles. I'll guarantee you that that race is either shortened or it starts much earlier in the day on Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't see that finishing at midnight. Again, of course, we didn't get the 1,000 miles of Sebring this year. Uh, Total six hours of Spa-Francorchamps on the 2nd of May. Yep. And then finishing off at Le Mans on the 13th and 14th of June 2020. That's how it stands. Quite a few clashes there. And significantly, Johnny, quite a few clashes with Formula E, which Mm. is a big, big problem for some of the drivers.
3: Yes, True. Um, And and
2: Jean-Todd admitting at the weekend that, oh, I'm sorry, that was a bit of a mistake, a bit of an oversight.
3: The problem is that this calendar, I think, is now in stone pretty much because it's been through the uh, FIA meetings, which firm it up. uh, And I assume we're in a similar position as far as Formula E is concerned as well. When you bear in mind that Toyota, uh, well, Sebastian Buemi confirming to me and we played that interview out as well as part of the Mobile mm. One coverage, that uh, he was back again for another season of WEC, as is Kaz Nakajima. Brendan Hartley into the number eight car to replace Fernando Alonso. And it's looking like Conway, Kobayashi and Lopez again for another season in the number seven.
2: Um, Last year for that car, but we were told by Pascal Vassilon yeah, that there will be changes to that car, mainly aero changes. They're still working on that. yeah, But they... I think they felt they had a, a bit, a, a bit more of a difficult uh, run at Le Mans this year. When I was speaking to the guys on on, on Monday, um, they may well be challenged a little harder in the nineteen twenty season GP.
3: Well, I think Gerard Neveur and those at LMEM are still keen to close the gap between hybrid and non-hybrid, and uh, by the sounds of things, the gaps getting very tight now if the rebellion for 80% of the race was faster than one of the Toyotas. So all they needed was the consistency. Of course, they've still got... Toyota; still have the safety net of shorter pit stops because it's a smaller engine and it's hybrid-reliant as well. Hi- you know, hybrid makes the thing And they go. take in less, less fuel. That's the point, yeah. yeah. So it's a shorter pit stop in order to, to fill the tank um, with a more efficient engine and the fact that it's got the electricity alongside it. I'm just looking at 2019, 2020... Formula E drivers that have already been confirmed: Sam Bird. Yeah, you would think that's going to be clashes for him and Ferrari. Jean-Eric Vern. Well, depends what G-Drive do. Mm-hmm. They're they're doing the LMS season. I haven't seen anything. I'm not sure whether they're down for the the, the new season. But Neil Jani. Well, there's a clash there as far as Rebellion are concerned, and Andre Lottra likewise. So there are drivers that will want to do uh, both events if they had the free choice. And we've had we've certainly had one clash in the last. 16 18 months uh, with Formula E in their season 18 19. Um,
2: the problem for the WEC is the Formula E is always going to win. Uh,
3: you would think so, yes. And
2: that that's that I think that looks bad for everybody. And also it starts to break up teams for the championship and who can win the championship and you've mm. got to find another driver and blah blah blah. Uh, well, that's all to think about from Silverstone. Well, uh, Johnny uh, and I and Paul will be. Uh, going through the whole season for a review programme, which will come up in the next few weeks. It'll have to be turned around fairly quickly. There's a few GT drivers as well. Well, Sam
3: Bird actually favoured WEC, but that might have been a contract thing with AF Corsa. Yeah. Um, But I remember Sam Bird... I I have a feeling he had an absolute nightmare race as well. I probably wished he'd gone to... There was a a race in the States. Would that have been New York or...? Yes, it was. double Yeah, Okay. Well... um, And I remember uh, we were making the joke at the time that he really should have uh, gone and raced Formula E instead. But then others, as you say, have had to have had to have other drivers come in to replace. So there's a decision to be made and I'm sure it's out of the driver's hands, frankly.
2: Right. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, We've spoken about this race here this weekend, the 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Our coverage starts on Thursday. Check WWW radio uk RS1 is where to find it. Let's wrap up on Le Mans with a, a couple of thoughts uh, from Paul, Joe and uh, from Johnny and myself. Um, we're waving goodbye to BMW. We're probably waving goodbye to Ford, at least as works teams un- unless something is found there. I thought Doug Feehan and, and Corvette were pretty classy, Paul saying, you know, we hope they get something. We hope they can find the money to come back. Um where does that leave GTE? Quite often the class that most people are excited about. Possibly only six, five entries. That's okay. Is that enough? That's okay.
4: Yeah, that's fine. You're happy with um, that? it's 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 so competitive. The people who are doing it are so serious about what they're doing, they uh, that the approach is very professional. As you say, they've got works involvement. Um it and because it's so close. You know, you can afford to have Aston Martin off their game, for example, at Le Mans this year, and it, we've still got five, six cars battling for the lead. Mm. So I'm not overly concerned about uh, about the GT class. Um, I, I've still got my reservations about this winter series, though. But let's um, well,
2: we can talk about that when we do the preview. There you go. There we go. I'm a fan of well, it. I'll. I'll you why another time
3: six, six cars confirmed for the new WEC c- season? Yes, in because GT- we did Pro. get the entry
2: list on Friday again, that was rather yeah. overshadowed by the hypercar announcement. Yeah, and by the way, we should see it. And my point on that is, I'd had a good steer about who was there and who wasn't there, and I reckoned we'd got to about 28 cars. And in fact, I think there's 33, 33. full season entries yep. with a few wild cards jumping in. I bet WEC are delighted. Now, is that counting the two genetics?
3: Uh, yes. Yes. Right.
2: Okay. So, at the very worst, uh, the way it looks, that looks to be thirty-one. I think they'll be delighted with that for the, for this season. An
3: eleven-car AM class looks fabulous in GTs. Yeah. Uh, six pros because no Ford and no BMW going forward, uh, but we will at Le Mans get the two American Porsches. We'll get the two American Corvettes.
2: It's nothing to see. You might I think get the we'll two get American American some, I think we'll B- get some M8s. Exactly yeah. my point. Yeah. RLL would love to do it.
3: I, th- I think we'll get some BMWs next year and uh, and Ben Keating will be back. We'll get a Ford from Ben Keating and there's some other Fords on the market now as well. So They're why expensive. not why can't we get some more customer programs in, you know. Don't don't start crying about GT Pro because I th- I still think it's going to be epic next year.
2: I, I think the WEC have done a grand job to have 33 cars there. Mm. Um, it remains to be seen whether genetic come along, and, and one has to put a big well, question mark by those guys.
3: Maybe. Uh, it's a, it'll be a different engine, uh, because they've decided not to run with the Mechachrome anymore, so it'll be the AER engine, which I thought was pretty fragile. However, it got an SMP to the finish, and very quickly indeed. In third place. In third place. Mm. The board, and the car yeah, that yeah. failed, was that an engine problem, or was that a crash for the... <laughs>
4: for the other smp
3: that yes. was the crash right so the See aar engine yeah. potentially could yeah. have kept on going to the finish there yeah. as well um so yes two smps two toyotas two rebellions are coming back the cars we don't have dragon speed and we don't have the bicolors clm but if we've got two janetas almost taking their place that'll be fine and an and nmp2 we've had seven cars it'll now be eight for yeah. for next year and turning up for the four hours at silverstone in august september
2: That's all looking ahead further than we really should be at the end of this special Midweek Motorsport Series 14 episode 24 with not one but two 24s to talk about Le Mans is what we've just been talking about and we will reconvene here at the Nürburgring on Thursday. Our coverage starts at quarter past 12 12 12.15 UK Uh, that is uh, Thursday June the 20th that's tomorrow if you're listening (laughs) to this uh, live Uh, and then we've got evening practice and qualifying as well from 7.25 with continued coverage uh, over Friday Saturday and of course Sunday uh, where the race goes through into the afternoon and next two weekends after that we're off with IMSU again on RS2 so still plenty of sports car coverage to come thanks to everybody here Uh, I was going to get Joe Bradley back on, but he dozed off on a very comfy (laughs) leather sofa uh, just behind us in our sumptuous surroundings here in the Aston Martin Lounge in the Rhineland Tower. Paul and Johnny Palmer with me, John Hindorff. Kes Cobb kept us on the air back in London, and we thank her as well. We'll see you tomorrow there's no time to explain. The Lama's gone off for some lederhosen.